darling, with the young ones And the young ones shouldn't be afraid While the flame is strong Cause we may not be the young ones Very long Tomorrow While wait until tomorrow Hey everybody, this is Chris. Uh, welcome to the 11th episode of the Young Animal Gatherer. This is going to be a strange episode. Uh, it's kind of a clean-up episode. We're going to knock out everything from the first season of The Young Animal, uh, including an issue with Doom Patrol. Uh, we're just clearing the deck to get to next week's Milk Wars and the uh, big reboot that's going to follow that. Uh, we've also got a special bonus at the end, and I'll get to that in just a second. We're going to start off with a look at Mother Panic number 11. That originally aired on October 1st, 2017. We're going to wrap up Mother Panic with Mother Panic number 12. That originally aired on the 29th of October, 2017. Then we're going to jump into Bug, The Adventures of Forger number 5. That originally aired on November 19th, 2017. And then we'll wrap up Bug on with uh, Bug number 6. And that originally aired on December 17th, 2017. You see these, these uh, dates are getting a little bit wonky. Uh, we're going to wrap up the review portion by looking at Doom Patrol number 10, that actually aired this year. That was uh, January 28th, 2018. And then we'll cap it up with a, cap it off with a bonus, uh, a little look at Mr. Miracle, the character, a bit of uh, Mr. Miracle 101 that we put together for the listeners of the Weird Science DC Comics podcast before the uh, before the currently uh, still still running, I believe, uh, maxi series, the uh, Tom King. Uh, thing there. So we just give a look at the uh, life and times of Mr. Miracle up to that point. Uh, nothing too in-depth, just uh, letting people know where he's been, uh, who he is, all that good stuff. Uh, and that originally aired on August 13th, 2017. Uh, it's a little bit of a long one, and uh, I think next week will be as well. Uh, hope you're digging it, hope you continue to dig it, and uh, I will see you again next week. Once in every lifetime Comes a love like this Oh, I need you segment on the weird science dc comics.com podcast my name is reggie my name is chris and we got one comic this week to read review and uh relate to what what is that chris <laughs> this is perhaps the penultimate episode issue of yeah, mother panic uh I think so. this is <laughs> Issue number 11, story title is Under the Skin, Part 2, written by uh, Jody Hauser with art by Sean Crystal and Jean-Francois Boulot, or Boulou. Uh, now, we pick up right where we left off. You remember, Violet was standing over Jane's bed uh, after recognizing her at a party. And uh, we pick up where we left off. Violet is talking to her former fellow gatherite of Jane. Uh, now, Violet's a bit trepidatious about this reunion, especially in light of how her last Gather reunion went, uh, if you recall, with that weirdo pretty. Yeah, um, didn't go very well. For, 
No, it sure didn't. And uh, for some reason, Jane is overly apologetic. Uh, she recalls all the awful things that happened to Violet while at Gather House. Uh, while they speak, she asks if uh, Violet could take off her her toilet seat lid cover mask, <laughs> <laughs> claiming that it, it creeps her out a bit. And yeah, uh, yeah I get that. Uh, we we find out later that it might have been for another reason, but we'll get there. Uh, now, uh, now Jane takes responsibility for, as she puts it, turning on Violet at school, uh, but claims not to remember any of the hows or whys. Uh, she suggests that maybe her memories have been altered in the interim. Uh, in fact, she doesn't remember anything or, or a whole lot of anything about Gather House. Uh, she doesn't remember names, faces, nothing like that. Well, she does remember the fire, though. Yeah. Uh, and uh, straight out, she asked Violet if she was one behind the fire. And, uh, you know, we, we're not sure if this is the first time we're actually getting a, a yes confirmation for this, because it's been alluded to, and we've seen flashbacks of someone setting a fire. And, and but, I, I uh, seem to recall there was literally a scene, This might, I might have constructed this, though, where she's walking <laughs> away from the house on fire. Did that really happen it in looks, a panel? You know, either that or we saw, like, from behind her standing there. I, Looking, I don't remember. The implication was strong, but I don't think we ever yes. saw like her hand to a match or anything like that. Yes, nothing admit- admissible in court just right. yet. Until now, she says, yes. Uh, now Jane thanks Violet for, quote, saving her, and Mother Panic splits. Yeah, then we head into a flashback. Back at Gather House, Violet, or number 17 as she's known there, is laying in a medic bed wrapped in bandages, and uh, she's Super negative woman on account of her being wrapped in bandages and being very unpleasant. Yes. Uh, very good. <laughs> uh, Jane approaches, climbs into bed with her. Violet tells her to leave, lest that she be caught. But Jane refuses, even despite you know the uh, abuse that Violet has received. Back in the present, Jane returns to her bedroom and into the meaty paws of her husband, boyfriend, somebody, uh, whatever, whoever he is, his name is Wilson. He's a big meaty guy in a, a tank top, as I can recall. Uh, he, yes. he, he asked where, where she'd been and why she went out dressed like that. And he's upset that she brought someone into his home. We meet up with the crazy lady gala. Remember that one? She's, she paints with blood and intestines and junk. We're way back in the first issue. Uh, she's painting with blood and intestines. That's right. That's right. Aunt gala. Uh, she's painting with blood and intestines, and she's interrupted by a blow- phone call. And the person on the other line informs her that they have the white woman. The last one left. Dom comes a call into the former rat catcher Otis. Uh, he's brought six friends, and he's hoping they can chat about some of the odd goings on. They talk about Mama Panic, that is, Violet's mother, and conclude that there's likely far more to her than meets the eye. Uh, you know, basically, she seems to know an awful lot about an awful lot. Yeah. We pop over to Violet, and she's having a drink with the blonde that she brought to the party last issue. Uh, her date seems overly worried about Violet's self-destructive state, you know, because she's drinking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> she only knew the half of it. Right. Uh, they're interrupted by Jane, who is ready to leave Wilson. And, in fact, she wants to be with Violet. Violet finishes her drink and passes out. You see, she was drugged by Jane. <laughs> now, flashback the second at Gather House, a bandage violet wakes Jane so uh, wakes Jane up so they can escape in the night, and this memory will probably be picked back up next issue. Back in the present, Violet wakes up chained to a giant hor- horrible skeleton sculpture in front of. Gala and Jane, who's turning on Violet yet again. Also worth mentioning, Wilson's there too, but he's a prisoner just like Violet. 
he's stuck in some ghost tentacles. I'm not really sure, but he's, he seems restrained in one way or the other and possibly to be concluded next month. Hmm. And now the backup that Chris uh, always loves and uh, that I keep taking, <laughs> I keep taking away from him. Um, I did read this one too. I do like the, uh, the layout is all puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. Did you see that at least? Did you even like look at it or did he just skip it? Down? <laughs> uh, the layout all looks like puzzle pieces is uh, all the panels. Uh, so that they sort of interlock <laughs> over a double spread. <laughs> But uh, I like that. Um, but I got to say, for a layout that's showing me puzzle pieces, I came away from this no le- understanding really no more about what's going on. Mm-hmm. I really don't understand, or like I don't understand, I guess, the ramifications of the stakes of this backup. It looks like the guy they think that was killing the heroes, it's someone else. But I don't know. Who- why the guy, you know what I'm saying? I don't understand the importance yeah. of the first guy, so the second guy eludes me also. Uh, maybe the maybe it'll turn out to be uh, Ozymandias from Watchmen, and that's where it'll all become cataclysmic. Yeah, this is the button. <laughs> this is the button. This right is here. Doomsday Clock. This is the big secret. It was all hiding in the backup. So Mother, Mother Panic number 12 is going to be the big book of the year. <laughs> Whoa, holy shit, mind blower. Dr. Manhattan was running the whole show. Uh, anyway, it, I did like the puzzle piece thing, so there you go. I would say I like this backup better than the last bunch. <laughs> oh boy! So yeah, this was a quickie, Chris. This we burned it was. this one pretty quickly. Um, it definitely, like like we said, smells like the second to last issue. Uh, yeah. You know whether this. Whether it comes back after a hiatus, who knows? Uh, I don't think there's anything solicited after October. I believe I'm almost no, no after uh, after December. Whatever the hell the next one, whatever yeah. that one is, yeah. So uh, we'll see. We will see what happens. Um, no, yeah. we figure next month it'll be. It'll say next issue, Milk Wars. Right, exactly. Somehow <laughs> this is all going to flow into Milk Wars, whatever that's going to end up being. Uh, what, what what score did you get? What do you think of it, Chris? I dropped it a little bit. I'm, I've been usually hovering around seven ish, seven point five. This time, I gave it a six point five. Uh, really, didn't enjoy it as much as usual. I mean, it's still worlds better than the open, but uh, right. I still it was a step backwards, and it feels it's it's weird to say that this feels rushed considering that mother panic's always been three issue arcs right but uh like we mentioned uh, we were talking off the air and we said that maybe this wasn't supposed to be this arc <laughs> maybe they just found out that you know hey we're going away for a little while yeah i think i would give it a 7 maybe 6.5 either i could go either way 6.57 only reason i would give it a 7 is because it does it seems mediocre but it, is, it does seem a little diminished from your average mother panic. Like, like a little less happens than usual. Maybe because she doesn't really do anything. She doesn't really do any Not action. Really? So, no. uh, yeah, whatever. We're right there. 6.5. I'll throw that one out. <laughs> whatever. That means anything. Next week, we got nothing, folks. Jack. And as far as I can tell, we got nothing the week after that. I'm not... I'm not uh, accepting any guarantees of a bug solicit that I've seen. Doom Patrol's <laughs> already been pushed out, so uh, as far as I'm concerned, we've got no young animal on the immediate horizon. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, that means we're sort of bereft of things to do. Of course, Chris and I love to talk comics. we got 
plenty of things that we could talk about, but I think I'd like to maybe get a little feedback, maybe have the listener send a little feedback to Jim and Eric's way. They write to hmm. this podcast, Care of Weird Comics. Oh, I'm sorry, Weird... What the hell is there? <laughs> Weird Science DC Comics at gmail.com. I'm almost positive that's what it is, folks. I sure hope it is. Uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, Weird Science DC Comics at gmail.com. And uh, let them know what you think. Let them know if you want us to keep talking and what you'd like us to talk about. If you want us to shut up, you can tell them that too. Jim <laughs> loves to pass the hate mail my way, he loves to pass all the mean comments on to me. Uh, hates to hates to pass hates when I listen in and people have nice things to say that really burns his ass. So there you go. Uh, if you want to write a, you know a lengthy nice thing about us, that could do really annoy him. But yeah, I don't know. I, as far as I know, Chris, next week we are off. You can uh, mm-hmm. you can spend your young animal time at the Bahamas, whatever it is you want to do. <laughs> you know, you, have, you don't have any plans to go to the Bahamas anytime soon? No. Sure, why not? Why I don't not? I don't think right now would be a good time, Chris. Anyway. <laughs> probably not. Probably yeah. not the best. Probably cheap. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> if that's all we got for this week, Chris, <laughs> and maybe forever, uh, I think I'm going to tell them all to keep it young and animalistic. See ya. Last night, a little dancer came dancing to my door. Last night a little angel came pumping on the floor She said, come baby, got a license for love And if it expires, pray help from above segment on the weird what? science dc comics.com podcast that's right chris <laughs> you are chris i am reggie and we are actually back with a young animal book and uh we're as surprised as you are folks but we <laughs> said we would definitely see this one through and we'll let them know what we're going to be talking about today we are talking about potentially the final issue of mother panic issue 12 uh called under the skin part three written by jody hauser art by sean crystal and john francois boulot and uh, we pick up pretty much where we left off yep. last issue. We've got a Violet handcuffed and suspended by her arms inside of a giant macabre sculpture of a skeleton. And, uh, you know, she uh, can't <laughs> help but reminisce about those uh, good old days at Gather House. Uh, in particular, the night where she and Jane were trying to bust out together. Uh, pop back to the present and Gala, who's that the blood or flesh painter or whatever right. she was. Sculptress painter uh, or whatever. Yes. <laughs> Now, she's monologuing and preparing to kill Violet uh, using a scalpel hidden inside of the uh, retractable head of a paintbrush, which is a pretty uh, yeah. stupid weapon. Well, but, I mean, just stop. why don't you just have a knife? You know what I mean? Does it right? really have to be in the retract? Doesn't the blade look super short? Like, 
It does. It's very stubby. It, it looks very like you don't really have to slice someone up to kill them, but I guess, hey, she's the artist, Chris. Let her do her work. <laughs> I mean, you figure maybe like a hypodermic in there just to suck the blood that, out and squirt it back out. That's, that's something, yeah. More, more utilitarian, I suppose. <laughs> uh, now, Violet, you know, it, being Violet, she's got some mean words to say about Gather House. Uh, Gala admits that it wasn't hers, but it was owned by something that she refers to as the Collective. Um, another captive held in a green statue reminiscent of Clayface hollers. That's uh, Jane's uh, boyfriend, lover, oh, husband, all right. whatever all right. he was. I forgot, what he, um, I forgot who this guy was. <laughs> yes, he, he didn't make much of an impact, no. but here he is. Uh, now Jane snaps out of her moon-eyed uh, reverie and grabs Gala's scalpel and then stabs it right into this guy's chest. I think he did. He did. Very quickly, through That stubby scalpel, one chop, he's yep. finished. Uh, Gala retrieves the scalpel and praises Jane for her artistry, then stabs the scalpel into Violet's, I'm going to say shoulder. To, Ish. To be kind. Yeah, it's somewhere in that region. It you know, could be a boobish region, but we're not <laughs> sure. Uh, meanwhile, back to Manor Panic, where Violet's mom is having tea with Ratcatcher and Dom, and she says some stuff that seems relevant to Violet's predicament at the moment, and the dudes are just like, whatever, lady, you know, they don't, they blow her off. Quick hop back in time to the Gather House, where Violet and Jane are about to escape. Jane just flips out, and all of a sudden starts attacking Violet while yelling, no, 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 no. Uh, so this is something she is prone to do. She snaps out and flips the script. Over to Gala Studio again. Pretty much this whole issue just takes place in these three locations. Uh, she's monologuing uh, still, and she instructs Jane to do some slicing and dicing. Violet appeals to Jane's softer side, asks her to recall the night they tried to bust out a gather house, and, well, let's take a look at ourselves right now, shall we? At yes, that moment. Let's, let us flash back. Uh, now, though Jane is having a psychotic break, Violet does not fight back against her. Eventually, two uh, you know, demon impy guards, you know, the guards who have the demon faces, right. basically, from yeah. Gather House, as well as a nun, they show up. Uh, the nun tells them to haul Jane, who she refers to as number 12, away. Uh, she'll be of further use uh, to the to the collective, I suppose. Um, but Violet is tagged to be part of New Project 17. She's, you know, number 17. We've heard that before in right. uh, Gather House parlance. Um, now, Violet looks pretty frightened by this prospect, as uh, you'd imagine she might be. Yeah. Uh, now, this is a uh, we're, we're going to assume here that this is where she got her, you know, the enhancements, the bionics in her back, the stuff that was on the Fritz a couple stories. Right. Back. Yeah. And it seems to be the stuff that well, at this point that Jane doesn't have. But no, it does. No. It does kind of come out to be a little less clear later, but we'll get there when we get there. Certainly. Uh, now, in the in the present, uh, we see that uh, we have a little bit of symmetry here because uh, Violet's able to snap the chains that bind her, probably in great uh, thanks to those bionics. Yep. Um, now, she tackles Jane now that she's free, and uh, now it's a Gatherhouse alumni fist fight <laughs> at the class reunion. Uh, now, we pop back over to Mother Panic's mother's garden, <clears throat> and that's where Dom <laughs> is uh, figuring out that uh, Mama Panic's meaningless babbling might have some meaning. Which we kind of figured this whole time, you know, but what we've been yeah. waiting for is for the roadmap, you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> I mean, as a revelation, this is kind of like, uh, all right. I mean, I guess the characters had to figure this out, but we've been known this. We're we're waiting for answers, but I guess probably not to come. But anyway. No, no. And eventually, uh, Dom and the Ratcatcher leave Violet's mother behind, and uh, they leave the room feeling pretty confused. Yeah, I think we can relate to that. Mm -hmm. Now we cut on back over to Gala's studio, and Violet crushes Jane with a giant sculpture of a skull. 
It's like the size of a Honda scooter. I don't want to overstate things here. <laughs> I mean, you might think it was like you know the size of a Mack truck, but still, it's pretty big for a skull and enough to apparently to crush her. Uh, Gala turns on a big light-up Rubik's Cube and vanishes just before Violet punches a big dent in it. I don't know where that thing came from, but okay. Uh, later, Dom is checking out Violet's cybernetic junk. Uh, by that, we mean her bio enhancements, not her actual like genitalia, you know. <laughs> We're talking literally. Yeah, uh, he, and he apologizes for not being as good at this as Var- at Varma. Uh, Violet says some stuff that reminds Dom of her, her, her mother's yammering from earlier, and he gets confirmation that she was tittering about what was happening to Violet at that moment. So Dom explains that to Violet. Mm -hmm. We pop ahead a little later where Violet confronts her mother about this phenomenon. And her mother at this point is surprisingly lucid. Uh, She says she's been able to do this, quote, since she was made. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, alludes very strongly that Violet's father had something to do with it, or everything to do with it. Uh, now, Mama, pa- Mama Panic thinks she's broken, but Mother Panic is out for vengeance. <sighs> Some of you heard this before. Next up, Milk Wars. Uh-oh, bum, bum, bum. And uh, Chris won't read it. I did look at the uh, backup <laughs> at the end. Uh, this was the worst of it. I, they did kind of conclude it. They did come to Okay. The, well, I. this has been the worst mystery because we've known who done it. Issues ago, you know, it's mm-hmm. been a matter of the characters coming around to it. So through three pages of what is basically nonstop talking heads, just a wall of conversation, they come around to understanding that. Now, could there be, is there a capture point that could come after this? I guess, but I doubt, I doubt it will. I don't think it needs to. This was not a great, a well-told backup, you know, backup. Now, did this feel rush too? I did. And I was going to say that. And just, with all that dialogue, I really got the opinion, uh, the feeling, and you said this too, this series seems like it was cut off at the knees. Uh, yeah. I don't know what the you know longer plan was, neither of us do, obviously, but I think that they were told, you know, obviously not a week ago, but you know, a couple of months ago, it's going to end with 12, because the regular Mother Panic story seems like it kind of came to a rapid conclusion, right? Sure. Uh, yep. Still, still some open-ended, quite, quite a few questions that could be answered, but mm-hmm. a lot of the main ones were answered, and uh, a lot of the pieces that have been slid into place, like Ratcatcher and stuff, really didn't come to anything. You we know, don't that, know why. Yeah. There's no real point to it. There's not, nothing really wrong with it, but there's no story reason. I would say the same thing about the backup. Seriously, that mm-hmm. uh, I think they, they just had to dump everything into that one, those three pages, and there we got it. Uh, yeah, as best they could. So it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I did peek at the uh, at the backup. I didn't I didn't really pay much attention to it because I, I just I, I refused to for some I reason. I hear you, but, but, um, you're but uh, see, there's a lot of reading to do, right? It felt yeah, it felt like uh, if if people remember playing uh, Xenogears on the uh, first PlayStation, the second disc, I guess they came up against budget and time constraints. So the entire or, or the great majority of this second disc is the main character sitting in a chair being told what was happening. Oh, so yes. it's like that's that's what I felt like when I re- when I looked at this. It was like, OK, if this is wrapping up and it's just an info dump after info dump in just the, the you know, the three page short that it is. And that is that is what that was. And to its credit, Mother Panic wasn't like that. No, it wasn't. But it did just sort of, you know, we just wrapped it up, kind of figured out that Mother Panic was not just some baddie old lady. Uh, it didn't get, you know, the collective is kind of a new thing, right? I don't think we mm-hmm. I think maybe heard that, but we didn't know they were behind Gather House. Obviously, a lot more to know about it, but it definitely felt like they were told this is this is all you're getting. So. Yeah. 
Get everything out right now. Get it out. Get all the important stuff out right now. And frankly, if you can't answer the main questions in 12 issues, then you probably need to rethink your story. You know what I mean? Uh, they should yeah. have it all out there by now anyway. Yeah. But uh, overall, not horrible. Uh, no. I thought that this arc was, you know, a little weaker than the previous one, but still okay. They called back, you know, all the all our old favorites from the beginning of the stories and stuff like that. And uh, not a huge fan of the art personally, but it was nice and clean no. and easy to read. So I'm a fan of that, at least, you know. <laughs> uh, what did you think of it? Um, I I feel like it was a letdown, but I don't think it had anything to do with the creative end of it. Um, yeah. Like like we've been saying here, it's like they, this might have been de- disparate threads from the next two or three arcs mm. that had to all be crammed into this one. Um, I mean, we met what was her name? Jane. We met her two issues ago, and now her story is done. Right. It just, and she didn't even appear in you know every scene so it was just like she really wasn't that useful in this story no you know what not I mean? at all uh yeah it, it, you're exactly right it really seems like they were they kind of collapsed a few storylines into one and gave us i le- i think what we needed to know about was the breakout attempt uh yeah and that's what that's why they put that in there but uh you know what are you gonna do? That's uh, yeah. over. So, the, what was your score for this? Let's, let's tell them that my, first. My this score, issue. I, when I wrote the review, I, I I was comparing this and perhaps unfairly because we knew that Cave and Shade were going on quote hiatus uh, yeah. a few months before the fact, where this one, like we've been mentioning, has, was just dropped in our laps. Like, oh yeah, it, it ends in October. I think it said but, last uh, month. We found out for sure. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And it just seemed. Uh, I kept thinking of that last episode of alf mm. where the aliens show up at the very end because they were trying to get nbc or whatever network it was to re-up right and uh that's kind of the feeling i get here because it's like okay well now we're gonna tell you what you know mama panic is all about and we're gonna leave with mother panic going out to take care of that mm-hmm. but we don't know where that's going or if it's going anywhere and from all signs it doesn't look like it is so it's it seems kind <laughs> Of, uh, I think I graded it a little bit lower because the ending was so disappointing because it felt so baity. You know, it's like that, they're trying to bait for another run. That last page is a total like you know, uh, whatever 1980s action movie cliffhanger, yeah. just like and the fight goes on. You know, whatever yeah. that uh, like very the generic, end, dot yeah, dot dot exactly question something, mark yeah. something like that. So uh, yeah, <laughs> so I, I, I agree with that for sure. I gave it a I gave it a six out of ten. Uh, you know, I really would be right in the same place as you. It's just, it's which I don't think is a, uh, you know, light it on fire, step, stomp on it type school. No. It's maybe I could probably push me up to six point five on a on a nice day, maybe. Um, <laughs> but it just really isn't. It really wasn't my thing, and I feel like the obviousness of it kind of coming to a rapid conclusion. That we just, I didn't even mention that that ending page, but that is a perfect example of like something funny happened here because it's such a generic nothing ending. You know, yeah. she like hops on her bat, her, you know, her bike whatever it is, her uh, green goblin thing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just like, and, uh, you know, mother panic's going to kick butt or whatever, yeah. however it ends. Seeks vengeance. Yeah. Something like this. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's been all right, you know, but we have talked a lot about this series. This, this series, when we first started doing Young Animal, we split up the books. Uh, Chris took this one, and this one was the total wild card. In fact, yeah. it turned out that more of them were wild cards than we had assumed, Initially, but, but this one we had no concept of really what we were going to get. It could be the great thing. And when it first came out, we were pretty disappointed. Uh, oh. I, I had problems with the art, especially. 
but also I had the same problems you did with the writing and the fact that we didn't like the main character. In fact, we <laughs> actively thought she was kind of a jerk. But uh, this series has definitely redeemed itself over time by filling mm-hmm. in the blanks uh, and telling us more of the story. You know, the character doesn't get so much of a growth arc, but you become more sympathetic to her because you know more of her story. And uh, it's better than, than we thought it was, as Chris wrote in his review, better than I had a right to be, maybe, because, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's 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 easy to kick these kinds of new things to, to the side, but this one, uh, yeah, I don't think it's for us. You know, we no. are... Uh, old men, you know what I mean? We're not, we're not the top, but I do think there's an audience for this. Uh, oh, certainly. And I think that, you know, I hope that it was able to reach some of them. I think I might have liked this as a younger person, potentially, or, you know, who Angrier knows? person. Angrier. I, I feel there's an anger at certain, <laughs> but, you know, there, there's something to cultivating that, you know, and, and sure. that's okay. And that, that's certainly a demographic to reach if you can... Uh, Hit it. Mm-hmm. Can swing it, yeah. Go, go, go. Good luck with that because, you know, <laughs> trying to force a teenager into doing something is a fool's errand. So, <laughs> you know, I was overall, I would say I was pleasantly surprised by this series. Uh, it's it's funny to say because, no, I wouldn't have bought it, right? I don't think you would have either. No. Uh, you know, even if, even if we did try the first couple of issues, we that would have been it. We would have walked away and never thought about it again. And, you know, it's it's not exactly a our kind of comic, uh, even even in the young animal realm. We loved, you know, Shade and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was good. I'm going to say, I'm going to give the whole thing a 6.5. I was just about to say that. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it, I don't expect to meet any teenagers since I don't smoke cigarettes by the uh, dock anymore. <laughs> but uh, if I if I were to meet the right person at the right time, I think I would have this one be like, you might like this, you know, this mm-hmm. this could be for you. Uh, I kind of I kind of went, went overboard yapping about it. But do you have anything to add to thoughts about the series, Chris? Not it's it's a, it'd be a lot of me echoing, and, and I'm I'm echoing because I'm in an empty room anyway. But <laughs> that's for the Halloween but, feel. That's all it is. <laughs> yes, but uh, no, I'd definitely be echoing what you just said. It's a uh, I don't remember if it was the I think it was the second issue where Violet slept with a guy and then cut her fingers and wrote like F U on the wall with the blood. Oh yeah. I think at that point that's like the closest I've ever. I mean I treasure comic books, but that was the first time I ever read something where I wanted to rip the thing up. It's like uh, it's like nope done. And it's digital too. You were like how and do it's I digital. Do that? I had to snap my laptop. <laughs> Honey, we need to buy another one. Be like, that's the third one this month, Chris. Well, it was Mother Panic number three. <laughs> it was Mother Panic. Baby. No, I remember that. It was very, it was very puerile and and you know like like I, like I say, we never we never really get to. I don't feel I don't feel like I like the character Violet anymore. But no, I understand her. We understand more of her motives, and that goes a long way. Uh, she didn't grow at all. She's the she's pretty much the same mean person she was in the end that she was in the beginning. Yep. I am kind of curious. What does she do? Is she? A, is, does she sing? I, I kind of lost sight of that. Was it ever revealed? She no, it was star? just a. It was just a like a just a generic dilettante. Is that what they called it? She's just like a a Paris Hilton, right? She's just, and yeah, an heiress of some sort. Rich. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, mean, I was just kind of curious. I'm like, everyone loves her. What does she do? Does she? Have but to, we like, know what uh, we know what her father did, and we know what her mother did. So we. I don't know how she got the money. I mean, because he was true. just a. Uh, I don't remember what he did, but he wasn't. He, he wasn't. He was famous, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. like a, a laborer of some kind. Or sure. Something. Um. 
I don't know. I guess those are <laughs> questions that could be answered later if Mother Pack season two ever comes back. Uh, speaking of coming back, yes. Just, just today we got some breaking news. Why don't you why don't you reveal the breaking news to them here on, on uh, Young yes. Animal? Young Animal News here uh, via Twitter. Uh, Third Eye Comics in Annapolis, Maryland, announced a signing featuring the Young Animal curator Gerard Way and writer Steve Orlando to promote whatever the hell Milk Wars is going to be. They actually have it marked as JLAX Doom Patrol. <laughs> so I guess that's part of their uh, their their that those team up books that we that's heard were coming this, out. It's JLA Times, JLA yeah. Ten. You know? <laughs> and uh, the signing is set for Saturday, February twenty fourth, two thousand eighteen. So, one might assume that the story will be coming out or will have already come out by that date. Yeah. We're not suggesting we know. Travel, <laughs> travel long distances to this event. We're more using this as a hint on the uh, yes. uh, in comment. <laughs> I wouldn't even use this as a pre-order uh, no. metric here. No, because, uh, we, we know how this goes, especially when it's young animal. Yeah, it's... Uh, not a lot to hang your head on. It, you know what I mean? No. There's no no picture of a comic that I, you know, no real information except that a signing is booked for this. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. If the Milk Wars comes back, I imagine we'll cover it. Yes, uh, of course. As it is now, I don't think there's a solicitation at all for the next bug. Or Doom Patrol, huh? I believe Doom Patrol's technically slated for December. Okay. But I have no, you know, about no, zero faith in that. I mean, literally, I've been, I'm making no plans for that to happen. If it happens, we'll deal with it when it does. But I'm not clearing a, sh- a spot in my long box. For certainly it, not. Yet. Certainly not. Yeah, you you probably need all the spots you can get at this point. But uh, <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. Hope, hopefully, we get something. Uh, they also sure. said. I mean, it's just so much weird, nebulous information that we don't know what to do with. Like that when they told us that. Uh, I think that was San Diego, or maybe it was New York Comic Con, where they said that Young Animal would be folding into Vertigo. Yeah, but, they were going to be under the same editorial. But but uh, it shouldn't change anything, allegedly. How, how does I mean that's I just wonder what does that mean? They're going to hire on the Young Animal staff? Does that mean I don't know what the, that means yeah. from a reader's perspective? That's you know that's what I'm saying. So. Uh, but I know they did solicit. Um, oh, they at least announced at uh, what was it New York that there was. I don't remember what the book was, but they did announce a new title, but they didn't say if it was a uh, ongoing or miniseries by uh, Magdalene Visaggio. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the book was, though. I'm totally forgetting blanking on that. I believe it was going to start. I think they'd give it a pretty late start date, though, like June. or <laughs> That wouldn't surprise me. So, which probably is, is good to hedge your bets on that. Yeah, that's right. So it's going to be Eternity Girl. Okay. Eternity Girl in March of 2018. Assume, presumably taken from Eternity Kid, right? That's this going to be the girl. Kid version. Eternity. Kid yeah, Eternity yeah. or something. So, uh, all right. I mean, whatever. There's that. This is comics. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's that we, we make, we poke fun at Young Animal, but it's not just Young Animal, obviously. They all yeah. pull bait and switch, you know, to be in a little okie doke, some of that solicit fake out if funk, you know what I mean? So, uh, we just, we, we just read the dang things we can, uh, control when they come out but uh if that's all you got for him this week chris you got anything I else think for so. yeah no, i think that'll do us well folks until next time which may be in february of 2018 or maybe sooner <laughs> i want everyone to please keep it young and animalistic happy new year
everybody. Welcome back to the Young Animal segment on the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we have a Young Animal book this week. We didn't think what? we we didn't think we would, or we didn't know if we would, but we do ever have, again. Yeah, we do have uh, not only just this book. We have some news at the end of future inklings over at the Young Animal camp. So. We may be forced to eat our words, but we'd happily do so if it's going to mean more comic books. So, the book we're talking about today is Bug, The Adventures of Forager, number five, by Lee, Michael, and Laura Allred. And uh, you might not remember, since it was like a month and a half ago, but picking up directly from the last issue, uh, I think, uh, we Bug has Dr. Spider restrained by tying his eight mechanical arms into a tangled knot. Remember, that's the guy with the eight, basically Dr. Octopus with the eight arms. And he's saying nonsensical non sequiturs because he had some brain damage or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kuziko tickle tortures him with a feather to learn which shard portal Chagra escaped through. Again, that happened last issue. That happens at the end of every issue. Chagra dips through a portal, goes to the next shard. Uh, yes. Bug opens up a portal with a hairdryer and then shoves Dr. Spider through the interdimensional hole. But because of the tangle of his arms, uh, Dr. Spider is stuck in the portal half in and half out. So... This is Bug's plan. He'll stay there as insurance while they check out this other dimension. He won't close the portal. He'll be cut in half. But it doesn't work. Dr. Spider is able to free himself, and he shuts the portal just fine. So, just then, Bug's rocket's legs give out. He had rocket legs. I forgot to mention mm-hmm. that before. Uh, Bug, Kazuko, and Hooligan the teddy bear fall with a splash that what looks like endless ocean. And then a big red flying machine heads toward them. And you, you ever see the original Tron from 81? You ever see that movie? No, no but I'm familiar with it. Well, those big giant, these things called recognizers, and they, whenever they come over, you hear helicopters, helicopter mm. blades, and uh, that's what this thing kind of reminds me of, the big red ah. recognizer. Uh, whatever it is, it drops an oblong box shape that creates a massive whirlpool in the ocean, and in fact, actually dehydrates the ocean, leaving fish flopping around on the seabed in kind of puddles. And, dangerously, it's also dehydrating Bug in the Gang. And then a faceless android from the Global Peace Agency shows up to save them. So it looks like we're going to be dabbling in Jack Kirby's OMAC this issue. And uh, OMAC, of course, stands for One Man Army Corps. Uh, the story is that in the near future, or what, the future that's coming or something, right. the way they wrote it. That's uh, true, yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, the uh, frail teen by the name of Buddy Blank is imbued with another indestructible form of a brawny dude with a mohawk and orbiting satellite uh, Brother Eye. And this form would be, of course, OMAC. Uh, now, Brother Eye is part of the Global Peace Agency, which is the future's super science police force. Uh, the android tells Bug that the mad scientist Scuba, with a K, is stealing all the water. Dr. Scuba is an evil, wrinkly dude who did try to steal the, wor- the world's oceans in OMAC number 7 way back in October 1975. Uh, but was a, he was also a regular foil for Buddy Blanca throughout that series. Yeah, I seem to recall he had that, and he had another another villain. I forget how to name yeah, goofy name. just a dude. Yeah. Uh, as well as a couple of issues where it was just the, uh, you know, dealing with the futuristic world at large. With the cops, yeah. So, uh, anyway, it seems Scuba has messed with Omax Adams and turned him back to Buddy Blank permanent-like, and plus destroyed the Brother Eye satellite besides. Bug surmises that Chagra must have come here for Scuba's expertise in something, uh, and also he's the seventh domino? Maybe. Okay, Hooligan and the Teddy Bear <laughs> uh, discusses that with Kazuko, that they've gone off script and don't know what the future dominoes will portend. But since we don't really understand that whole domino thing anyway, we're all in the same, 
boat here, folks. So uh, glad to glad to have you, hooligans. <laughs> <laughs> now, at the Global Peace Agency's highly technological headquarters, Bug is introduced to Buddy Blank's government-appointed parents. That, of course, is uh, well, it's actually Mr. and Mrs. Barker. Been here, uh, yeah. Um, now, Bug recognizes Mr. Barker as Bartholomew Blankenship, who has shown up in every shard that they've traveled to so far. He has. I I don't remember. I, I guess. Um, <laughs> Bug uh, mentioned stealing his yak. Uh, I do remember him stealing a yak. I yeah. just don't remember this blanket job guy. I don't remember this guy at all, but all right. Well, you say so. But we'll, we'll, we'll take his word for it. He, he has no reason to lie to us. Uh, now, he does mention stealing that yak. And uh, suddenly, there's a blip on the OMAC scope. Some androids open a portal to Scuba's fortress. Which is inside of this disheveled mountain in the middle of an ocean, and the androids explain, explain that Brother Eye got, got his licks in before being destroyed by Scuba. And then Bug says some stuff about ants that I don't really feel like getting into. Yeah. Uh, and he hops through the portal. He, Kazuko and Hooligan jump in after him, despite Bug telling them to stay behind. But, of course, that wasn't going to happen. Bug lands in Scuba's lab with his daughter Seaweed and her husband Apollo and like a half dozen monsters. Like, literal big, hairy, and scaly monsters. Really, this is something right in Mike Allred's wheelhouse to draw stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, and also, Buddy Blank is hanging around, just kind of standing around there. Uh, there's some fighting. Then Scuba fires a small gun at Bug and Kazuko, and then Buddy Blank and Seaweed, in, respectively, capturing them in transparent and impenetrable coffins. Compresso bars, he calls them. Seaweed had a thing for Buddy in those recent issues, in those old issues of OMAC, by the way, that plays into this book because she's sort of like thankful that she's he's opened her eyes to the evilness of her father. But uh, you know, it doesn't really come to much like most of the plots in this book in this series. <laughs> uh, Scuba and Apollo walk away for a while so everyone can chat, and uh, Hooligan the Bear is also in the cage with Buddy and Seaweed. So he says some cryptic stuff, gives Buddy a pep talk to believe in Brother Eye or some such. Uh, we see ghostly Omax standing outside their box, suddenly pressing against the glass. Now, Scuba and Hooligan return, having stolen the rest of the planet's oceans. Uh, he exclaims, it's good to be king. <laughs> uh, Scuba's also brought a hunk of melted slag, which is what remains of the Brother Eye satellite. We're guessing he's doing this just to taunt Buddy right. Blank, right? Yeah, <laughs> just to be a jerk. It's always your undoing, though. Don't bring the, uh, you know, the deus ex machina <laughs> to the machina, for God's sake. <laughs> of course, of course. Now, then Scuba <laughs> intends to turn his gravity neutron gloves on Buddy, because, yeah, it sounds like a good time. Uh, Bug and Buddy are still defiant, so Scuba threatens Seaweed, which is his own daughter. Yeah, he's not a good dad. <clears throat> no, not no, really. he's not going to be winning any awards. <clears throat> nope. Now, then Bug realizes that sound and light can pass through these boxes somehow. Sure. Uh, now, <laughs> Bug opens his heads-up display and turns uh, turns his chittering to supersonic frequencies. Ghost Omac walks through the side of the box and steps right into Buddy Blank, and everyone's free. I mean, and Omac is here, too. Hey, everything, everything worked out just... I mean, the Omac walking into Buddy Blank is the maximum bullshit. That's the, You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> The chittering is is silly, but it's like, well, I don't yeah, know. I guess we can play, we can allow it. That's yeah. the thing, but like, it's like, oh, all you had to do was like accept your ghost. I what a what a ridiculous, uh, not actually, you know, thing that happened. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Omax mm-hmm. about to sock Scuba, but Chagra shows up just then and blazes everyone back with his uh, like his orichalcum force something whatever. Sounds good. Uh, he slaps Scuba and Apollo up against the wall and uses his power to extract Doctor Scuba's smarts actually through his eyes and mouth it really looks kind of crazy mm. uh, and now Chagra has th- the three things he needs to reshape the world 
He tells Bug that their last meeting will be where it all began, on New Genesis. Before leaving, he restores all the world's oceans, which was kind of nice of him, i got to admit. Sure. He didn't have to do that. That's an integrity move, yeah. Exactly. He, 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 <laughs> no, nothing personal. He's letting them know. It's all business with him. Uh, then Kazuko uses her eye beam power, that I'd forgotten totally about, to strip away the slag of Brother Eye's satellite and reveal a mother box, or a brother box, as mm. Bug points out, Chris. Uh, Brother Eye is able to restore his satellite into orbit immediately with his special story convenience ray. And then Team Bug hops in a boob tube to New Genesis, where new gods are laid out on what looks like the board game Life, right? I would, yeah, it's a board game, sure. The popper. It's some kind of board game, but did, did Life have the popper dice? or? No, that had the spin. That had the spin, that's right. Yeah, you're Trump thinking of Trouble. Popper, and there, was a, there were a couple of popper games in the day. Popomatic Trouble. Gosh, but I, I, I'm going to have to look this up. I could swear there was a popomatic dice game that also I'm had sure. linear, you know, uh, a path, Minerado yeah. path. And then, of course, there's the backup, which is a really beautiful but incomprehensible three pages featuring a Golden Age character no one knows about. Uh, this time next week, there'll be three podcasts dedicated to him. He's Midnight by Jack Cole. So there you go, folks. If you want to make, that. if you want to make a podcast, <laughs> there he is. Uh, I really, I really like the way it looks. I almost wish it's very pretty. I wish they could just take out the word lettering. I probably would just like it as like a poster. You know, it's just a nice looking, sure. uh, very well laid out. I, I don't, I wouldn't even say well laid out. He's just using a lot of visual tricks to make a good looking page. It all flows. Page. Yeah, it's really but, nice. Uh, it's just difficult to read. And yeah. uh, I don't understand what's care happening about. or care about it. You know, I'm more like, ah, just uh, I just like the I like the pictures, but uh, that really isn't the problem. The problem here is, of course, the main book, Chris. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much a total letdown at this point. Uh, Brother Eye and Omac from the you know Bronze Age Jack Kirby. That might be the stuff I'm the most familiar with. I think there are 13 issues of that or something like that, and uh, that's one of the few that I've read them all. That and like the Sandman. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, other stuff I've I've dipped and dab, but I can't I can't claim to be say a Kamandi expert. I haven't read every issue of Kamandi. Sure. So going into knowing that though, only highlighted how deficient this book was in yes. explaining itself to the reader, and in presenting a cogent, coherent story that had stakes. There was no stakes to the story. There was nothing, no reason for anything to happen except for the quips and nonsense. That, as far as I'm concerned, sounds like two brothers. Trading, you know what I mean? Like inside jokes. Inside yeah. jokes, yeah. Uh, really disappointed by it. Uh, you know, uh, what, what, what do you have to say? Um, I thought it was, uh, like you said here, it's 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 inside jokes. It's it's like people. It. I feel like my guts are being nudged. Like, hey, look at this Bronze Age stuff that I know about. Yeah. It's like we we get it. You're fans of the '70s comics. We don't need you to reinforce that by showing us some obscure character. And and I mean, then you jump into the backup, and there's Midnight. It's I like, know. hey, look at this character I dug up and know about. It see, it really seems uh, contrary to the spirit of this imprint to me. Yeah. Which I thought was going to be more populous, more for a newer reader or to just sure. jump in and, and dive in. And there's definitely been nods in Shade and Doom Patrol. To older books, but I never of got course. I never got the impression you had to read those to no. follow along. Whereas, you know, I have read the, this this OMAC number OMAC. seven we're talking about, and so I, I understood a little bit about it, but it didn't make this issue any more entertaining or any more interesting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's uh, it's it just is really a disappointment visually. You know, if you like Mike Allred's art, well. Here is some of it's uh, here. Yes. It's here, and it's well rendered. And you know, the Laura doesn't 
the usual excellent job on coloring. I mean, it looks like Silver Surfer. You know, it looks like everything mm-hmm. he's drawn lately. Madman, anything. Which yeah. is which is good. You know, but that's what it, it is. That you know, uh, but without the compelling story or even like a decent story. Um, I'm not even sure there's a story. I I don't think there really is. You know, uh, yeah. everything that's happened essentially is you know for naught. He's going to go meet him on New Genesis and whatever that's going to be. Which I'm sure is going to be ridiculous, you know. He's gonna, yeah, of course. He might actually like pull up one of the All Reds old toys or something and be like, "This is the, you know, <laughs> this was your wagon you this... got at Christmas in 1973." Exactly. Yeah, you cried, yeah. aha, you know what I mean? Like they'll start teasing <laughs> each other in the last one, you know what I mean? You wet the bed, you know. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know what's. Uh, all I can say is I don't like this book, and and no, I wouldn't recommend this book to people that are. You know, if you like Michael Allred, I'd say go back to all Mad Men or uh, Ecstatics or Silver Surfer. Or Silver Surfer. You know, he's done a lot of stuff recently that I thought was really, really good in the end. But uh, this is not really one of them, and uh, I'm not going to be into the trade. On the site, I gave this a, and uh, people listening to the podcast know that the Weird Science carries what we call the Fuck You Five. And I guess I gave it a five out of ten. Fuck you. This series is a waste of money and time, and uh, I would avoid it totally if I were you. Uh, you know, as far as quality, though, it really is about there, too, because like I say, visually and storytelling-wise, there's really nothing wrong with it. It's just a dud of a story, uh, mm. and it really just kind of makes me annoyed that it's so impenetrable. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, even to those that know those comics, it's impenetrable. It seems it seems like a waste of time and, and effort. What do you think you'd give it if you had to, if you were pressed to do so, Chris? I, I would have given it less than a five, but knowing what the five means, it, oh, it, I'm right up there with right it. There it's there it's with a five. The it's, uh, five. <laughs> it's just, you know, this is a six-issue series at four bucks a pop. We're looking at 24 bucks before right. tax. And it's, I don't know who, it's, it's only written for two people. Yeah. And it ain't us. That's exactly, yeah. I mean, I wrote that in my review. I was like, if you are Lee and Michael Allred, you will love this book. This, this is going to be you'll your, be like, your book of the year. You've been waiting for this your whole life. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, uh, I, you know, it, uh, and I, I don't want to repeat myself, but it's like I, I, I don't want to hear about your fandom. I don't want you to throw your fandom in my face where, to, where you prove that you're a, you know, quote, real fan. I don't yeah. need that. Yeah. And that it, just seems what this is. This just seems very overcompensating in that, you know, we're, we're steeped in this bronze age knowledge and let us show you that. And, and quite frankly, the, the number of writers that keep cataloging the fourth world over and over and it's oh, already, you know, it's gotten to the point. You don't need to read any of that early stuff. Just read anything written in the last you know, five years about it. You'll be a qualified expert on it. Cause they just keep going over the minutia over and over. And it's always the same story. They're threatened that the new gods are going to die. And then, Oh, they're dead. Oh wait, they're back. They're back. Yeah, every they, single they, time. They really do the same thing. It's, it's, uh, I just, I think it's just people were so, a certain generation was captivated by this and they kind of can't get out of that recursive loop it seems. Uh, In this case I'll tell you, someone mentioned to me, they were like, who who cares about who wants to read about Bug? To me the good thing about this was that that was never a heavily explored thing. You know, Bug played prominently in Cosmic Odyssey, but didn't, Cosmic Odyssey, but yeah. the but the bug characters didn't even figure prominently in the original Fourth World stuff, as far as I know, which I haven't read all of it. They they were fleshed out after Kirby left, uh, like post uh, first issue special, like the Return of the New God series. Yeah, uh, Bug was one of the team members there with uh, with Orion and stuff. Originally, but, uh, they were just more like they were the workers, though, right? They were the yeah, they were know, just the there. surfs, you yeah. know. They, they were the downtrodden of New Genesis, the way the. Mm-hmm. Everyone on Apocalypse would be downtrodden, which I think was to show, like, you know, there's... You know, there's a caste system. Exactly. Or, um, yeah. uh, 
Anyway, but my feeling was this this left them wide open to tell almost any story. Oh, they could story. explore anything, yeah. And they went totally inside. They went the other way. They went internally. They went deeper and deeper into, like, minutiae and, like, weird arcane Bronze Age stories. And no bueno, folks. That's all I have to say. No. I'm sorry. If you have been waiting for the trade, I would take it off of your pre-order or part Amazon list. wish list. Yeah, yes. whatever, you, whatever you put that on. <laughs> but amazingly, again, you know, I said I'd have some ama- some things to say at the end of the show. Uh, next week we have another young animal book, Chris. Hmm? We have Doom Patrol number nine. Oh, that uh, that's mean. Don't even joke it's around. Out. About it's out. It's I. What? We have the comp copy <laughs> yes, in our do. hot little hands. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You you could have blown me away. I could have sworn mm-hmm. I saw that that the December solicit got pushed out, but that still may be true. Maybe yeah. the November one made it, but the December one is is uh, pushed out. But beyond that. We also saw uh, that AV Club, which uh, didn't that used to be an arm of the onion? Did I hallucinate I that? It, was. it seems like it's not anymore. I would, now that I looked into this stupid thing, it doesn't matter. The AV, AV Club, they ran a piece about Milk Wars on Wednesday, November 15th, and uh, they wrote, and I will, uh, or you can quote if you like. Sure. Uh, we have Milk Wars is built around Retco. Oh, boy, I hate it already. Uh, an interdimensional corporation that steals, sto- oh God, steals stories, reconfigures them, and repackages them for new markets. JLA Doom Patrol special by Steve Orlando, Gerard Way, and ACO has the Doom Patrol meeting Retco's version of the Justice League. Led by Milkman Man, the last son of Krypton raised by an evil dairy farmer. I do like that name. That, that one, <laughs> Milkman Man. Oh, God. <laughs> um, uh, now, Jody Hauser and Ty Templeton Mother Panic slash Batman special introduces Father Bruce, an orphaned billionaire who has turned the traumatizing orphanage gather house into a school for future Robins. Okay. Cecil Castellucci and Mirka and Dolfo's Shade the Changing Girl slash Wonder Woman special make Shade a servant of Wonder Wife. John Rivera and Langdon Foss's Cave Carson as a Cybernetic Eye slash Swamp Thing special has two horror-influenced heroes teaming up to infiltrate Redco from within. And the event wraps up with Doom Patrol slash JLA special teaming Orlando and Way with Dale Eaglesham. The thing I'm most excited about is Dale Eaglesham. Yeah, there's a few <laughs> names I like in there, you know what I mean? Uh, what else? Who else I like? I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. <laughs> That's what I saw another name in there. I was well, like, here's oh, another cool. name you're going to like. Frank Whiteley. That, I do like that name, yep. There we go. Now, there's a series of one-shots that are going to hit every, well, in theory, yeah. every week in February, which means we're probably going to get nothing and then four of them in one week. That's probably how it's going to work out. We'll, we'll get mm-hmm. the first one, and then we'll get a big gap or whatever. But uh, the covers are available online if you do a search. You can, yeah. you can go to this uh, AV Club room. They're everywhere if you look for them. And they look pretty cool for what they are. I do like Milkman Man. Dale Eaglesham definitely is... Uh, Something to make me plus. perk up and uh, not too thrilled about the Steve Orlando inclusion. But, uh, you know, I, I believe that every comic is a new day, Chris. And, uh, and but this <laughs> feels this feels like another round of inside baseball. You know, this isn't I don't think this is going to I think there's going to be a certain contingent of people who buy it because Milkman is LOL random. Yeah. But uh, it's it's retco. I mean that's obviously retcon. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, Which I, actually I forgot there was they they did fly there was a retcon, retcon billboard in yeah. Uh, yeah in uh, bugs. So this in obviously bugs. laying the groundwork for this. I don't know. You know sometimes commentary on the comic book world can be good. That's all. We'll see. I, I don't know what is. Yeah, you're. I, sometimes <laughs> it can be very misguided and and downright insulting. But we'll see which form this takes. I'm a I'm a little surprised that uh. Uh, Michael Avon Oming is not in the Cave Carson book, but that's true. Uh, I guess because that's such a visually 
unique book, you know what I mean? Uh, but sure. maybe there are reasons within reasons why that wouldn't be true. I don't know. If, I don't think that's anything bad necessarily, just as the way, way it went out. So uh, anyway, that's the information we have, folks, as far as what that's it is. It. It's all taken from there. So in February, this thing should be taking off. And if it is, we will cover it. And if it, it is, then we can't. But uh, I think we'll make that's, something up. We'll make something. Maybe we'll write this ourselves, you know. Shade the Changing Girl and Wonder Woman. Well, what was the other stuff I saw? Yeah, the Father Bruce thing sounds silly. Yeah, Wonder Wife. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be a commentary that uh, has been done a million times before. I mean, I'll be honest. Just on the face of it, Cave Carson teaming up with Swamp Thing gets me the most interested. I love Swamp Thing. Yeah. You know that. And sure. That seems like that could be, you know, that could be Swamp Thing doing all kinds of mosses or crazy Glowing fungi. That, that one seems to fit. Yeah, yeah, like that. That seems like that could be something, but uh, we're not giving a ton to to chew on here. So I'm not. I'm, no. gonna, I'm gonna try to be as reserved as I can. That's the uh, the oath of the comics reviewer, right? To uh, always be forthright and true, and to you know treat each comic as a new possibility. Mm-hmm. But I think that's all we got for him this week, Chris. You got anything else for him? No, that'll do it. I, I definitely uh, want to congratulate the fellas on their 150th episode. Oh, yes. It's, uh, you are a wonderful, uh, a right wonderful accomplishment. Yeah. And uh, give them my best. Yep, that's a great job. And uh, to everyone else, I want you all to keep it young and animalistic. Now this is the meaning of a bugaboo It's a person who's constantly bugging you Never giving you no room to breathe On you like skin or a shirt with sleeves A person that constantly wants to be around you It could even be your moms or bops when they hound you To someone who's always bothering you If you was a plant, they'd be continuously watering you Sweating you like heat Let's say you are the cess and they are the sheets Always on you and wrapped around you as if you were lost and they just found you. They never get the picture. No matter how many times you diss them, they still wanna get with you. Continuously calling, never giving you a rest. A bugaboo's just like a fly, nothing but a pest. And I suggest that you step. Why? Cause you're a bugaboo. You're bugging me. A bugging you. You're just a bugaboo. You're bugging me. A bugging you. You're just a bugaboo. You're bugging me. A bugging you. You're just a bugaboo. Once in every lifetime, comes a love like this. Oh, I need you, you need me. Oh, my darling, can't you see, young one? Darling, you're the young one. The young one. Shouldn't be afraid to live love. There's a song to be sung, cause we may not be the young ones very long. Welcome back to the Young Animals segment on the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we have one Young Animal book that I think will be the final Young Animal book it's of our, the year. It's our season finale. Exactly. This is it. <laughs> uh, we really should have done a clip show, but instead, <laughs> yes. what we got was Bug, The Adventures of Forager. Number six, storytellers are Lee Allred and Michael Allred, and the colorist is Laura Allred, an Allred production. So, if you recall, Bug and the crew are on the planet New Genesis, which looks like the board game Life. And all the new gods are two-dimensional cardboard stand-ups, if you don't remember. Actually, it's we talked about it. It's not just Life. It's like Life and Trouble. Because it's yeah, got, the, it's it's got, got that bubble dice. they got the pop yeah. So, it's sort of like a couple of maybe a few board games. There's shoots of ladders in there. But uh, 
Bug calls it Milton Parker's Lifeopoly board game, so whatever. Fair enough. Uh, Hooligan the Teddy Bear reminds us of all that Chagra is a computer simulation of Metron, which I don't remember at all being no. part of the fact. Uh, I feel like that would be something I would have remembered, but that's... It's been uh, well worth it, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's some new information to me, and that's what we learned. So Bug takes a crayon from Hooligan's stuffing and draws on the two-dimensional Orion, Orion that's standing there, and then Bug says that since Metron seeks to acquire all knowledge, he wouldn't know anything about a stupid board game. So, Chris, wouldn't all knowledge include an understanding of all board games? I don't... Even the stupid ones. Why would he? Why would he avoid that? I don't understand. <laughs> uh, I know everything except peanut butter. It doesn't make any sense, you know. Like, oh, I'm not. I'm not going to learn about Monopoly. I'm only going to learn about you know architecture. Like, I don't. Yes. Uh, Hooligan even goes on to say he's not much in that art and literature or pop culture. He just skims written reports on that stuff, which again makes no sense. That's core yeah. knowledge, you know. A core of of Metron's omniscience would. Have to include that stuff, you know. This yeah, is all like, is all. I don't yeah. really understand. Yeah, like he, what did he just say? He just likes the uh, the the numbers, you know. He just likes to know the number of liters in a in a uh, ocean. He doesn't care mm-hmm. about the uh, <laughs> what else who's swimming on it. Anyway, uh, so Bug tells Hooligan that when we first went to Earth, Orion left him with a negligent fellow named Victor Lanza, and for months, all he did was watch World War II movies and play board games. All all by himself. We've all been there, Chris. It happens, you know. That's true. That's true. <laughs> now, uh, Bug suspects that Chagra, who is now a simulation of Metron, apparently, is sending a message. Chagra appears and says it is a message, and the time for fun and games is over. It's a you know good thing to say when you're on a board game. That's right. Uh, now, Chagra transports them both to outer space and uh, reveals that Bug is actually stuck to the source wall with the rest of the defeated new gods. Now, the wacky events of this series have been a dream happening in the last seconds of his sentience. So, a little uh, occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge or whatever the sure. hell it is. That's fine. No, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Chagra says Bugs should let go and accept his death. And here's where it gets deep. Uh, we quote the French philosopher Albert Camus, although uh, Chagra pronounces his name as Camus because that's funny. Uh, Camus lived from uh, 1913 to 1960, had a very short life. Uh, though linked with existentialism, Camus uh, rejected that philosophy. Instead, he contributed to the philosophy of, philosophy of absurd, absurdism, which refers to the easy for me to say, which refers to the conflict between human tendency to seek inherent value and meaning in life and the human inability to find any. Uh, despite this somewhat defeatist outlook, Camus also rejected nihilism. Yeah, we might call that the uh, New York attitude these days. I so, think so. <laughs> but he, he is he is linked with existentialism, but he personally rejected that. But rejected it. A lot of his philosophy is very existentialist. That's part of his over That's his, whatever, his thing. Yeah. So anyway, so Bug notices that Chagra mispronounced Camus, and with a punch to his face, Bug pronounces it correctly. Says like a camel cow. This dispels, and there's okay. even a picture of a camel with cow print all over it, and uh, that's I don't know what that is. And udders too. Yeah. So this dispels the false space scene, and Chagra becomes Metron proper. Although I thought he was a simulation, so I don't. Uh, it, it wasn't. I didn't think it was Metron wearing Chagra clothes, but apparently, yeah. In that instance, I guess it was. Uh, <laughs> Kazuko and Hulikin are also back on the scene. They uh, they're there too. Uh, Bugfig figures out that turning New Genesis into the game of life is a message from Chagra. 
He unite he untied Chagra from the Umphalos, that drum made of the Orichalcum, if you recall. And mm-hmm. uh, then explains that Metron cannot use it because Chagra put some kind of a lock on it. So is Chagra computer simulation of Metron or not? I, I don't. I, he does whatever he wants. I don't really understand. He, you know, it's like he put a lock on this thing that the guy that made him can't get into. I'm, it's really unclear what this means. Yeah. Uh, Metron shows up demanding access to the Umphalos, and both of them manifest these giant new god versions of themselves to do battle. Metron crashes a planet in, onto Chagra's head. To give you an idea of the scale of these two, they're quite large. And then they fight each other to mutual exhaustion. Chagra explains that the only chance change he wants to make to the universe using the Omphalos is to make himself a real boy, free of Metron, who he just fought to a standstill. Metron summons the Black Racer to dispatch Chagra, but Bug uses a domino to block Black Racer's ski pole, and the Black Racer dissolves with a whoosh. Okay. <laughs> Metron hops in his Mobius chair and leaves after he and Bug exchange some cryptic taunts. Chandra makes himself real using the Omphalos and then travels back to Atlas World somehow. Okay. Uh, yeah, and the new gods are now three-dimensional people once more, though Orion still has all that junk written all over him <laughs> from the crayon. Um, now Bug, Kazuko, and Hooligan, and hanging around uh, the next visible piece of the source wall, a fiery message tells Bug to touch the wall. He does, and somehow passes through it. On the other side is an old man in overalls. He's plastering the source wall. Uh, he says that Chagra didn't put New Genesis back together all that well. Uh, Bug helps the guy, clearly a stand-in for God, uh, and he helps him fix the source wall. And during this scene, Semi-God talks so much unbearable yeah. nonsense. Uh, it's, it's it's really the worst. It's really is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Just the whole thing about good intentions producing good works, which tells me they had really poor intentions when they made this. Probably, series. yeah. Uh, the power of positive thinking, which means we didn't have much positive thinking for this series <laughs> and other Hallmark platitudes. But maybe this series is showing us the power of it by removing our ability to, to feel that way, right? Maybe that it's, could it's be a, it. It's, it's, like it's very meta. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, he does reveal that Metron is spending some detention time on the source wall to atone for his interdimensional crimes. Which, as I understand it, is not possible. I thought once you were part of the source wall, I thought it was, was done deal. That was a done yeah. deal. However, we have seen them come off, and this is, you know, a stand-in for God plus a book that is full of nonsense. So we'll just that we that will be the least of my problems with this story. <laughs> uh, that Metron is going to be temporarily on the source wall. I'll take that. Everything else I I don't know about. Uh, Fake God also says Hooligan is his big brother sent to act as Kazuko's babysitter, and Bug is her governess. Hooligan's not just phony God's big brother; he's everyone's big brother. He's the brother entity. Then a woman steps out from the source wall holding a mother box. She says Kazuko made it for her. Hooligan says she's the mother entity, and then she tapes a picture of the same mother box, or the mother box turned into a picture to a refrigerator that's just there. Seems Kazuko ran away from home, and I guess mother box mother is her mother, or maybe that's everyone's mother. Uh, they sent Bug to be the, her governess, right? So uh, I'm not sure if it's getting too confusing or I'm just losing all interest in the story. But uh, the two, those. The two yes. things are happening simultaneously. I'm like, what? What is this? What's going on? Uh, Bug agrees to be Kazuko's governess, whatever that means for him. And then he steps through the source wall. Actually, what he does is he does a fake out. He steps through. Then he comes back really quick and Kazuko gives him a hug. And then he steps back through again. 
and he's greeted by the new gods of New Genesis who are thrilled to see him. Yeah, and it's like there's like this this anime joke about like the big brother, the Oni son. It's like oh, yeah, it's the, so, the Oni child. I didn't yeah. even get into that. This whole thing where yeah. she, she watched nothing but anime, and yeah. I guess that was probably another in joke between the brothers. To be honest with you, because it, it's a trope in in uh, in anime for the you know the big brother little sister exactly, kind of uh, yeah. relationship. She so worships them, you know, the, the worshipful yeah. little sister. But uh, definitely, again, like I say, I think my interest was just dissipating, and I was like shot. Whatever, I don't care about that weird aspect of this girl that we barely know at all anyway. Yeah. Uh, the backup, again, another unintelligible story that was very nicely colored. I did, uh, yep. I appreciated, like, the look of it, but did try to read this one, found it impossible. So, mm. uh, this was a big disappointment to us, huh, Chris? So Yeah, really a piece of garbage issue, uh, oh. and, and a really disappointing series, and we are... Both of us big all red fans of yeah. uh, Mike and Laura, Laura at least. Uh, sure. You know, I have big Bronze Age fans and huge Bronze Age fans. Yeah. You know, when we first, when this series first started, we had really high hopes because it mm-hmm. looked like they were going to go through different Bronze Age properties. Uh, you know, here's Bug in you know whatever. Come on, Deep World. Atlas and Here, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and if it had been more like that, I think we could have gotten into it. But then there was this whole other pseudo-philosophical subtext, not to mention that even those Bronze Age properties weren't kept intact in every instance. Sure. They were really playing around with the, uh, playing loose with the, you know, constraints as defined by those comics. Just these weird cameos that didn't amount to anything, just to anything. show that, you know, they know who these characters like are. Like that guy and... that had the yak, remember him? And then the yeah. yak died, then they, then they revealed last issue that he was in every world. Why was that important? Who knows? That, I, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. I don't know who that was. I don't know why that meant anything. Uh, definitely, since the definitely from last issue, I think two issues ago, we started to realize this was the all red brothers having a laugh with each other. That's it. Uh, it's two brothers that have a lot of in jokes and probably a lot of good memories of these comics. Uh, probably have talked about these comics when they were kids and stuff. It's patently meaningless to everyone else. Uh, it yeah. just doesn't mean anything. We don't, and this has nothing to do with, I need it to be in continuity. I, I could care less oh. about this being in continuity. It's a story that by itself makes no sense, has no stakes. Nope. And, it's, at the end, it's not even like you want it to be over. You just want it to like vanish. Like that's it. Just so, erase this from the record. Done, yeah, yeah. Just erase this from the human record. We don't need to know about this. Uh, super disappointing. I I can't say it's that enough. I don't think this will read better in trade. I think no. it'll be just as confusing. And uh, I really whatever the whatever the word for de-recommending something is is what I would feel about this. <laughs> I, avoid. Exactly. Definitely avoid. Uh, I gave it a two out of ten, and that would that was really because it is an actual comic book with staples, and you know it's printed, so I couldn't <laughs> give it. It's not nothing, you know. And the All Red, I still like Mike All Red's art, but uh, certainly this is not worth it. Twenty four bucks for what we got, no, is not worth it for just uh, some art that, frankly, isn't even the best examples of his artworks. And so much of this issue in particular is just people standing around talking, talking. heads, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, that was disappointing. What, what else you got to say, Chris? Uh, I, I I don't think uh, DC is going to be knocking on my door to give me a job, so I can give it a two as well. Uh, there you um, go. Yeah. Th- this is <laughs> when we started this year out. I I didn't think anything was going to get worse than Mother Panic, and uh, turns out Mother Panic actually improved. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I, then this came out. I would recommend Mother Panic over this every, every single time. <laughs> Mother Panic, it. you're off the hook. It, it's, we were talking about that before, though. It's and, and that was kind of a nice thing for me is that I can still be surprised by a comic. And I, <laughs> sure. I don't know. Here's a comic that I thought was a layup that we were going to, you know, love or at least. Oh, like. yeah, from the solicits. We, we were, this was like written for us. Exactly. I was like, oh, goodness, we'll be hanging out in, the, in like all the stupidest, silliest properties yeah. that DC has to offer. And I couldn't, I couldn't feel the more the reverse. I, it's more than just that I don't like it. I actively dislike and hate this book. Yes. Whereas, whereas Mother Panic is a book that we came around to not really liking for ourselves, but respecting as a functional comic book. Sure. And, and, and we a, stopped, we didn't hate it. Stopped yeah. hating it. Yeah. The, and yeah. the story was interesting enough, you know, that it was like, all right, this, mm-hmm. this is, there's something happening here. So sure. That's nice. We're not so old and uh, <laughs> grizzled that we, uh, you know, are set in our ways and we uh, don't, you know, we're, are, could know how what a book has to hold for us to the minute it comes out. So, but this was a case where we were hosed. We thought it would be great, and it was uh, hateable. And the, I'll tell you, it, it wasn't a great aspect of it, but the delays did didn't bother me at all. Yeah, it's, yeah right. <laughs> it's the pure it's the pure content content of the issues. They're just terrible. Uh, delay this thing to 2024. As far as I'm concerned, delay it forever. So, uh, very kind of a big surprise, but uh, yeah, did not enjoy. Bug, no. The Adventures of Forager. Now, the next young animal, I'm pretty sure, because Doom Patrol solicits for December and January were moved out to March, I believe. I think so. Uh, March and April. So we don't have any Doom Patrol, any young animal books coming until Milk Wars. The next, year. Which yeah. actually starts the last week in January, which I think, I think yes. the 31st falls on a Wednesday. So that's when we'll be back to talk about young animal folks. And then if... The uh, upcoming news that Chris is going to open with mm-hmm. is true. We might have a more regular uh, slot coming back to the Weird Science Podcast, but there was some exciting news that came out this week. Yes, we'll quote the, uh, the the press release here. Following the events of the DC Young Animal crossover event Milk Wars this winter, the main titles of the DC's Young Animal line will get a mix-up of their own, with new series titles and story directions. They're also going back to number one issues, of course. Uh, of course. Figure. I think that had something to do with this. <laughs> yeah. Now, beginning March 7th, Shade has shed her alien identity, stepping out of her original Earth body into a new one. Shade the Changing Woman begins as Loma, now free of the burdens of her past life, sets out to see more of her new home. But how will she cope when the madness she was forced to confront in the Milk Wars is now a mass of memory and confusion? To make things even more challenging, she'll come face to face with the original Changing Man. Writer Cecil Castellucci and artist Marley Zarcone will continue to helm Loma's adventures. That's right, she didn't meet Rack Shade. Yeah, she was there, but she didn't meet him. She didn't meet him, so that that could be interesting. Uh, Then on March 21st, after a year of multiverse hopping, Cave Carson returns to the normal life of digging and cave diving. But it just isn't the same for the explorer. Time fast-forwards as Cave and his daughter Chloe are sucked into an all-new adventure, literally, when they go spelunking in a black hole. Cave Carson has an interstellar eye, continues with writer John Rivera and artist Michael Avon Oming. Mm-hmm. Then, on March 28th, follow Violet Page as she finds herself in a Gotham City unlike anything she's known before. Mother Panic Gotham AD begins ten years into the future, in a world without a Batman, with a Gotham City now in the hands of a, of a collective. In a high-tech town with zero tolerance towards Cape Crusaders, what's a woman who's vowed vengeance to do? The series is written by Jody Hauser with art by Tommy Lee Edwards and Ibrahim Mustafa. 
And then launching from the backup story in Milk Wars is Eternity Girl, a new miniseries from GLAAD Award-nominated writer Mag- Magdalene Visaggio, who did Kim and Kim, and an Eisner Award-winning artist Sunny Liu, who does The Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai. This series follows the tragedy of Caroline Sharp, a former superhero and super spy whose cursed powers have left her hideously deformed and unable to die. Her only solution? Destroy the universe. This new series begins March 7th. So, the Milk Wars event kicks off on JLA Doom Patrol Special Number 1 on January 31st. And that's an epically weird crossover adventure featuring those characters, and it will continue throughout Young Animal, through uh, February on the Young Animal mm-hmm. imprint. So, okay. Sure. We're okay with this. Uh, I'm glad that the books that we know, the keeping... Are saying their teams yeah. teams uh it does make the number one of them more superfluous but sure whatever uh they, you know this is 2017 going into 2018 we can't act brand new now you know like we don't know no. why they do number one issues uh <laughs> kind of kind of too bad like a year and a half into the imprint they're doing this but uh this is yeah. the way things go um yeah i mean we like these comics pretty much and then eternity girl i have no real We'll see what it is when we see what it, what it yeah. is. I, I Not excited know. for it, but we'll deal with it. No, it could, who knows, though? Yeah. Like, hey, it could be another mother panic, which means that we won't hate it. So <laughs> that's, that's a win in our book. That's a win. When you, when you <laughs> don't hate a comic, uh, that's a good feeling these days. And if you like a comic, well, then you might as well that's have, gravy. have a parade, really. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't really have much to say about that except that. We'll see what it is when it is. I'm more interested to see what this Milk Wars is. The little trips and drabs we've been getting haven't really been juicing me up too much, sure. uh, except for the cover images. I like some of those. They had a very quietly look to them. Frank Aren't they quietly? quietly? Are they quietly? I, I guess they I must think be. So. I think so. They might have been Chris Because he, he designed the uh, the Milkman or whatever. Oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Then it is him. I thought I thought it was actually Chris Burnham who can sometimes... He does a very good... Have a quietly, yeah. quietliness to him, but... Uh, Awesome. I mean, that's that's fine. Then we'll we'll see what that is. Uh, sure. I don't like to speculate too much on these uh, things, as we've said today. You know, you speculate, but we, we can still be surprised. A comic you think mm-hmm. you'll hate, you'll you'll love, or you like. Comic you think you'll love, you end up hating. So this is the twists and turns of life, Chris. This is how it goes. But that'll be it for us for the rest of 2017. Mm-hmm. And I want to thank everyone that's been listening in. We do get uh, some messages now and again from people that like our segment and uh, yep. we, enjoy, we enjoy doing it. Sure. Having our little uh, piece to carve out of the DCU for the podcast. And uh, you know, it's been an interesting thing to kind of follow an imprint, Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and really concentrate on it and see like, what works, what doesn't work, uh, you know, where the hangups might be, <clears throat> Gerard Way, and, uh, you know, the uh, where, where it excels, where it does well. So, uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward to doing more of that as we go on. Plus, there's a whole bunch of other stuff DC's got cracking off in the new year, but that, that'll be for the main guys to talk about. So, I think that's all we got for him this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? No, just uh, happy holidays, happy new year, and we will uh, we'll catch you later. And I want everyone to keep it on the young animals, something in the All alone here on a Friday. After all the things that I did my way, I will come back home to my shell. Can I ever break out of this cold cell? I'm just about having enough to hear. Can you leave me alone?
segment on the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And we have one, count them, one young animal book to read this week, but it is the flagship. Would we call this the flagship of the young animal uh, imprint? If it's the last one standing, I guess we have to. In a way, yeah, it's between this, <laughs> between this and Bug, and I think this is, I think this is going to outlast Bug, believe it or not. But uh, we'll see. It's, well, the it, jury's it might, still out. The way the way the schedule is, it might end up being neck and neck. But anyway, the book we're talking about is Doom Patrol number nine, written by Gerard Way, art by Nick Darrington, Tom Fowler, and Tamara Bone Villain. So we pick up right from the last issue. Cliff is getting beaten into sparks by a pair of emotionally needy robots. Remember, this is. One pink Robotech mech with a round spiky head, the other blue with a diamond-studded head. And they say, say I love you, and I ship it in like a condensed texting form. Mm. That's my take on it. It's it's not text-speak. No, it's like when the Flash talks fast. It's all one word. Yeah, dropping vowels, too. They yeah. have everything into one word. So uh, the pink robot blasts Cliff down the street and right into Danny the Ambulance, which is also already in bad shape. Uh, discombobulated, Cliff tells Crazy Jay that he loves her. And just then, Keeg, the negative entity, takes off from Larry's body. Pink Robot, upon seeing that, says, Where is Rebus? And, No, Jane, say I love you, say I love you. And just from that, Jane figures out that these robots get energy when people do what they say. So Jane tells Cliff she hates his guts. Just then, Flex Mentalo enters the fray and starts a flexin', and Hero of the Beach appears over his head and all that. Uh, Jane tells Cliff she hates him with every atom that makes her whole. And this is all happening while Keegan Flex speed up the big uh, pink robot. And then uh, Jane tells Cliff to suck eggs. Mm. Then Keeg is able to remove the robot's mace head from its body. Um, along with a lot of green goop, outspills a dude in a purple bodysuit. The blue robot is distraught, and another guy in a purple bodysuit jumps out. Uh, he calls the, did, the dead guy Cookie. It seems the blue robot's pilot's name is Nolan. This is uh, all irrelevant since they're about to turn into purple goop and dissolve just on the very next page. Yep, that's it. <laughs> we head over to the Reynolds house where young Lucius is uh, still playing heavy metal records backwards and reciting satanic incantations. It's not working, whatever it means in this case. Yeah. Uh, Lucius decides that he to try that uh, magical world of magic record that showed up in the mail a little while back. I don't remember how many issues or months ago that was. It was many months. Uh, I think it was only two issues, but many months. Ago, <laughs> many months. Many months. Uh, and this is the record that has the, uh, the cute little pink and blue cartoon bunnies on it. Uh, immediately, Lucius is transported to some void, which turns into the desert where our old pal... Mr. Nobody is hanging out. Yeah, that's right. We'll see more of him later on, but we cut over quick to Pink Cloud City, where a silhouette of a guy in a red cape and what looks like a winged helmet bemoans the price of being king of whatever he's king of. Uh, a stamp also appears in the midsection, so he's just like a white cutout. It's as if someone cut yeah. this character out of the page. And there's a stamp on his midsection that says, withheld due to copyright. So I'm guessing this has got to be Thor. 
or Odin. I, I can't. I can't think of anybody else. It could be. Maybe someone can inform us if yeah. we're wrong. But uh, he's got a very Thor posture. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and like the winged helmet. It seems like he's in a fake Asgard. It seems like that's a yeah. take on that. But uh, couldn't remember anything specific from previous Doom Patrol incarnations. I think we saw this character earlier in the series. Could be. But uh, yeah. Anyway, if anyone has any ideas. But anyway, that that scene pretty much ends with him mentioning he also has to plan his wedding as dictated in the pages of a Hexalon the Star Archer comic book. And then we cut over right back to Casey and Terry Nunn's apartment. Casey's eating the last bit of shit. That's that miracle food additive that Terry Nunn was pimping. Uh, Terry shows up and Casey explains that she's moving out. Then she plants a big smooch on Terry. Hmm. They get a little closer. They kind of hug up and fall through the tarp, closing off the giant hole in their apartment. Falling to the ground, a yellow and red parachute ejects, and they uh, descend safely and land with a very psychedelic thwomp. Like, what? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> back to Mr. Nobody and Lucius there in the town of nowhere. Maybe nowhere, Arizona? Or Not nothing, a, Arizona? I don't know. It could be any of the news, Arizona. <laughs> Population zero. Uh, Mr. Nobody explains that he's tangled with the Doom Patrol before with a team known as the Brotherhood of Dada. And that would all have gone down during the Grant Morrison run that uh, this volume takes uh, very liberally from. Uh, Mr. Nobody, it's worth mentioning, uh, it's argued that he first appeared in the Fleischer Brothers cartoon, Betty Boop for President. This is in 1932. It's uh, you got to see it to, to yeah, know. What you can, you can see it on YouTube if you just search yep. for it, and it looks like it could be Mr. Nobody in the cartoon. Sure does, and he did run for president uh, back in the Morrison run. So that's uh, also interesting. That's true, yeah. Now, while Lucius is aware of the art movement, which is a, which is, you know, fairly smart for a teenager, knowing what Dada is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, Mr. Nobody explains that it's time to do something new. No longer the Brotherhood of Dada, now they're the Brotherhood of Nada. Now, Chris, this really doesn't feel very new, does it? It doesn't. It, it, doesn't, doesn't, it but, feels uh, very well, familiar. <laughs> it does a little bit, but let's let's meet these uh, let's meet these folks anyway. We've got the brutalist scientist Daisy Langdon turned into an indestructible modern sculptural art after experimenting with radioactive cement. No feeling. Hector Alvarez found a alien metal detector and now travels the galaxy in a 1950s sci-fi spacesuit as Hector the Boy Detector. No hiding. 50% Chad, a waist-down pair of gigantic hairy legs and socks and tidy whities No pants. Alice DeBreeze, a.k.a. The Breeze, a real casual chick for whom everything has come easy. No problem. And Lucius himself will become the great Ludini, teenage nothing. Uh, Mr. Nobody zaps him with his hands, and Lucius is dressed as a classic stage magician. You know, tuxedo, top hat, red line cape, all that good stuff, yep. wand. Uh, Lucius is uh, cool with it. Yeah, he got, he got no other gigs the way he looks at it, so he hops yeah. in the overstuffed car with the rest of the crew and heads to the city, where Mr. Nobody's daughter awaits, which we're positive is Terry Nunn. There's no other Gotta one. be. Definitely. So uh, ending at the Reynolds family, Valerie finds a present for her on the kitchen table. It's a large brick of modeling clay. And a note that says, shape what you dream. Sam emerges at her husband and Lucius's father and very understanding about the fact that his once estranged wife is bonkers. He's also wearing a Teen Titans Go looking Beast Boy t-shirt. Even mentions that in the book that yep. they, they both, he watched the cartoon with a friend days or something. Uh, she gives him a big hug and says they're ready to integrate with the world again. They open the door to Lucius's room to spread the good news, but the room is empty and his stuff is arranged on the floor and bed to read. Thanks for nothing. Mm, 
That can oh. mean so many things. Oh, goodness. Whoa. Does it really mean thanks or is it nothing? I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that I have two problems with this book <laughs> right off the bat. Two, two main problems. One of them is the lateness. I got to mention it every time. Sure. It really takes my enthusiasm out for this book. Uh, if, if these were coming at a, at a faster clip, I might, you know, feel differently, you know, more enthusiastic. But as we wait so long and then we get something like this that really feels like they're kind of just throwing stuff together in a blender. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. it actually feels rushed, right? This has this feels like that six issue where we kind of got yep. one story swept under the rug and we started a new one right away. And it's like, is this issue, is this series ending? Uh, that's, uh, yeah, right. That's the sense I get. I don't, you know, with Young Animal, we have no idea what the future plans are, so it could very well be true. But uh, yeah, no, I'm kind of postulating here. But it seems we mentioned in that issue six that like the big threat that was looming got wiped away within the first few pages, mm-hmm. just like here with these uh, robots with the mace heads. Right. They, they got wiped away real quick. It's like it's almost like uh, <laughs> uh, what's his face, Gerard Ways, maybe a little bit uh, schizophrenic in his writing, where he maybe was going to. Invent- investigate more in these characters but then decided he wanted to do something else possibly and yeah. uh, then it's like oh get rid of these guys or maybe it's just the tone of his doom patrol where it's like we built it up and eh, it's gone we're gonna go to something else right away and, it just and that's something it that seems so might, strange it's it's something i definitely i'm gonna be reading this at some point in my life and i don't hold me to it but in the trade <laughs> to see if it works better that way because i thought that sure. too that that might be like that's how crazy their life is, you know, that, yeah. that, you know, two giant, two robots attacking them, demanding to say, I love you. That's just like, you know, Tuesday morning, you know yeah. what I mean? Like they it's just a normal day for them. Yeah. That, 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 that's not like a big deal. So it could end up that way, but the way we read it, where we have a cliffhanger, you know, mm-hmm. we, we end on a cliffhanger. I expect the resolution to be something instead of like, they get all turned into purple goop and wiped away and like, you know, <laughs> Do you think they might have been some sort of like meta commentary on the fandom? Uh, at this point, it could be anything. I this <laughs> I, I even thought that it, this could actually be they could have been sent by Mister Nobody, and that could be our way into his into his art thing. Uh, but considering yeah. we don't really know what they were about, you know what I mean? Like sure. you know, we we kind of got some ideas that they want people to say they love each other and they were manned by look like humans uh, and they, and they had, shipped them. Cookie and Nolan, yeah, like it. It seemed like there was a commentary, maybe on fandom, but like I say, we didn't. I, I feel like if if it was a commentary, we didn't get enough of it to say what the hell it was a commentary on. Sure, that's a, that's for sure. The other <laughs> thing, though, is that as far as what he might have wanted to jump to is going to this Morrison, this Brotherhood of Dada thing. Uh, mm. Really, just makes this a you know, this book is too mired in that one run. And I, and even though we've been, I think 14 months since the first issue came out, this is only issue nine. Yeah. And you're already mining, you know, probably one of the most memorable parts of that, of Graham Morrison's run. Sure. Uh, it's, it seems cheap. It seems unearned to me. It does. Uh, and it what, does. and what he's doing with it, it looks on the surface, no different. You know, no. uh, <laughs> I like no, the characters. The same thing, just different name. Yeah, yeah. They, they're all weird. Well, characters. Only a marginally different name. <laughs> exactly, one letter changed. Uh, mm-hmm. With you know, it seems like a bunch of like dubious, you know, heroes or whatever. Weirdo characters. Weirdo characters with dubious yeah. powers, and uh, and I did like them for that as far as being like weird characters. But sure, it just smacked too much of the Brotherhood of Dada already. So. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously it's going to depend on how it's written and what, what it does and whether this connection with Terry Nunn is 
interesting because it obviously is no big secret or surprise. Uh, But it really, you know, this book, this issue just struck me as falling kind of flat uh, overall. What was your, what were your basic thoughts on that? Uh, Very, very same as yours here. It's uh, we've been waiting for a while and, and, and like you said, it is way too mired in that one. But it's, there's, there's a term in wrestling called cheap heat. And it's yeah. like, well, you go to the ring, and if you're a bad guy, you say that all the local sports teams suck. And if you're a good guy, you go out and you say all the local sports teams are great. Right. And uh, when you're doing Doom Patrol and you're propping up Morrison, it just feels like cheap heat. It's like, yeah. I've, I don't think I've met anybody who said, I don't like the Morrison run on Doom Patrol. It's, I, it's the definitive run, you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, and, and it's universally loved online. It's it, nobody. Nobody said a bad thing about it. So it's. It just seems so. It seems cheap. It's like a look at me. I'm a real fan. Here's the, my proof. It, and uh, yeah, can't get behind it. In truth, it's safe for John Byrne, who went out of his way to like deny the Morrison run really ever happened. I think he actually could, took a couple of swipes during his run on Doom Patrol. <laughs> they all have. They all have acknowledged it. Obviously, sure. you had a lot of brilliance to it, and you know, created a lot of characters that are beloved. Whenever you, if Crazy Jane is in the book, that's taken from the Morrison run. You know, there's yep. no way around it. And we were accepting of that, obviously, in the beginning. Of you know, you know we're not, we, we don't want them to pretend nothing ever happened before, but. Earlier on in the series, they seemed to acknowledge that everything had happened to some extent, and I was really excited yeah. for that. Not so much because I necessarily need to see, uh, you know, the stuff from uh, Arcudi's run or whatever, the but Arcudis, yeah. just because just I, I thought that was a cool thing. Now that we're just mining this Morrison run over and over, it's like, well, I mean, if we see the Scissor Men or Red Jack, I'll be like, or come the, on, give me a or break. Or the painting that ate London. All that yeah. stuff, yeah. It, the it's Campbell all, Man. Uh, it's, it's just seems really stuck over there, and... and Maybe I would have felt differently after 12 or more issues. I would have been like, well... Or you know, if they you, came out in time, yeah. Yeah, or exactly. Maybe they come out on time. Maybe we could look at this as just being like... I mean, for all we know, this could end the next issue, just like this pink and blue robot thing did. Sure. In which case, I'll be like, oh, well, I guess it's not that big a deal. It's not exactly... Uh, the first page of next issue could be the uh, the Brotherhood of Nada in a car accident yeah. where they're all dead, and or, it wouldn't surprise me. Or, or they turn into the Brotherhood of Tada, and they're all about announcing <laughs> and themselves. And they're all about right? jazz, yeah. Ta-da! Yeah, the jazz hands. That's what <laughs> they all do. Anyway, uh, it's it's stupid to speculate on a comic like sure. this. It really could go any which way. And the fact of the matter is, with all this with all this bemoaning, there was a lot I did like about it. You know, I did like a yeah. lot of the uh, silly interactions. I did like the fight with the robots, even though it seemed to happen rather rapidly uh, and conveniently. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I love this idea of a nerdy black kid metalhead Satanist. Uh, I know he's not the first. I know he's not the first one in the world. I remember my brother who was big into heavy metal and definitely into like the more, uh, you know, as close to Satan as you could get or whatever. Uh, he, he, I remember he had a friend named Anthony. He was a black kid that was like, you know, he went in way. You know what I mean? Kind of like, kind of like when you are, uh, you know, you're the scrawny guy on the basketball team. You got to play twice as hard. That's how he was. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was. <laughs> Everything you could do would that would be pure and metalheadish. Uh, anyway, so that really speaks to my heart, and I, I like that <laughs> that theme of it. Uh, I like the characters, love the art. Sure. I really like this guy's artwork, Nick Darrington. Wonderful. He's yeah. doing covers for Mister Miracle now, and I think he's doing more work for DC down the line, which is great because he's. I don't think he's getting enough work out of Doom Patrol quite. I don't think so. Yeah, and we don't blame himself. we don't blame him for these delays either. Oh, I don't think it has anything to do with yeah. him. Uh, yeah, it's. We've, I think we talked about it last week. But if you follow him on social media, which I, which is not a bad idea because it's almost all just his artwork. He's yeah. constantly doodling. He's constantly. I, I got. I got the impression, especially a couple of months ago, he was a little bored. <laughs> anyway, all that being said, 
We do we do give these things scores, and in the end, I gave this a pretty bland 7.5 out of 10. Could even get shoved down to 7, really. It's, it, it is an issue of Doom Patrol, and it's weird to even say that, because that should be something unique and special, but mm. it's it's just not. It really just feels like they're you know, running a treadmill here, and I hope they figure out what they want to do next coming up. Yep, I'm right there with you. Seven, seven point five is uh, right. We're right in my ballpark because you know we we've given it a lot of flack, but it, it, this is very much in our wheelhouse. Yeah. It's just it's just almost uh, annoyingly so. <laughs> and it's just that it isn't it isn't moving forward, and uh, that seems to be a uh, trend with a lot of the DC books of late, where it it just we're not moving forward, and <laughs> it's a. Uh, we need to. You think maybe the problem is we can smell our own? You know, we we you know we know we like the weird stuff. So when they pander to it, when they make it, so we're like, come on, we you come know on, we like that crap. You. That's easy stuff. You know, like give me something new. Uh, hey, give us a straightforward uh, uh, superhero story. So, <laughs> That'll freak us out. That would be that would be hilarious. Yeah, just do like a typical, you know. Cliff Steele just saves people from a burning building. Yep. I'd be like, whoa. Meanwhile. Never yep. expected that. <laughs> uh, next couple of weeks, I see no young animal, which doesn't mean that there won't be. But I don't, I don't see any. Uh, I did remember I remember reading that the Doom Patrol for September was resolicited. Don't know what month they gave it. Do not know if Bug is planned. So uh, for the time being, folks, we are going to. Lock up our young animal shop over here, but you know, obviously we'll come back and uh, whenever there is young animal to talk about, and hopefully during the milk wars in February, we'll be uh, coming on every week on the podcast. I do want to mention mm-hmm. some Chris we almost never mentioned, and in fact, hmm. a couple of things we've never mentioned <laughs> that you and I do another podcast every week, every every we Sunday. Do. Yeah, that's right. You might have forgotten about it, but I, uh, <laughs> we, you know, we always we spend a little bit of time on it during the week, so you can see why it would slip our minds, but. It's uh, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. We read a different comic book, talk about different comic book historical things. Uh, every week we could, we have a new episode Sunday, plus episodes during the week. And you can find that on chrisandreggie.podbean.com, or you can look up uh, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill on any one of your podcast aggregators or apps or mm-hmm. whatever they are. Uh, that would be cool. And that's, that's what we do when we're not doing this. And uh, lately we have... More time for that, because there's not a lot of this going on. <laughs> Young animal ain't popping. They ain't really popping too hard. But anyway, even though it's, it's really such a you know, grab bag, I, I almost feel like, you know, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, and then we're going to get a month with Doom Patrol every week. You know, that, you know it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. I might get two, two issues in a single day. Something like that, you know, it would be like, oh, okay, now we have a uh, bounty of Doom Patrol. But uh, <laughs> I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got, think, got anything else for him? Nope, that's it. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it young and animalistic. See ya. And just a gigolo, and everywhere I go, people know the part I'm playing. Paid for every dance, selling its romance. Oh, the same. There will come a day, and youth will pass away. What will they say about me? When the end comes, I know there's a justice to close. Life goes on without me. And just a gigolo, everywhere I go. People know the part I'm playing. Paid for every dance, selling each romance. Oh, what they say. And there will come a day, and youth will pass away. 
What will they say about me? When the end comes, I know there's just a trickle dose. Life goes on without me, cause I ain't got nobody. Oh, and there's nobody just for me. There's nobody just for me. Once in every lifetime comes a love like this. Oh, I need you, you need me. Oh, my darling, can't you see, young one? Darling, with a young one. A young one. Shouldn't be afraid. to the Young Animals segment on the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Shocked. <laughs> That's right. We have a, a, an issue of Young Animal book to read today, and it is, unbelievably, Doom Patrol number 10. Written We've by, broken the double digits. I can't be, I didn't think it would happen within <laughs> our lifetimes, but we here we are. Uh, written by Gerard Way, art by Nick Darrington, Tom Fowler, and Tamara Bonvillain. Special thanks to Jeremy Lambert. We don't know why, but yeah. felt like if he got thanked in the book, we'll thank him here. We uh, so uh, this cover, the regular cover, Chris, it, it's, it's not good. No, it's not. not a good cover. I don't. No. Uh, it's it's a really bad collage, and uh, I'm not. You know, I do like the art of collage. Mm-hmm. This this is not a good one. But anyway. And I think it was purposely done bad, which makes it even worse. It's, I mean, it's just annoying to look it's at. It's just annoying. It's not. It's not pleasant. I don't like it. But uh, so, if you'll recall from many, many moons ago, now, <laughs> Mister Nobody's Daughter and Casey Brink's former roommate Terry Nunn came up with this food additive called shit. That's uh, dollar sign hashtag exclamation point plus. Where we're going to pronounce it, shit. And now, as she tap dances on a supermarket rooftop, this causes those who have ingested shit to turn into floating globules of varying types. It's enjoyed by five folks wearing Skittles-colored gloves. We only see their hands uh, and a hose connected to the backs of their hands. This kind of reminds me of that character from the Brotherhood of Dada. Remember him? Mm -hmm. The gas, yeah. Yeah, Uh, but I don't know if this is any relation to that at all. Casey Brinks wakes up. I really don't even remember why she was knocked out to begin with, but she was knocked out on the street for some reason. And it is wacky mayhem on the streets, folks. We have like a floating monster Pac-Man in sunglasses, an eyeball with spider legs. There's a guy in a cape with a hammer for a head riding a blue hippopotamus and uh, Pinocchio carrying a fish. It's mayhem, Chris. It's just crazy on the streets. Yeah. Mm Well, we're going to take a break from that and head over to the Reynolds family house, if you remember them, and I don't blame you if you don't. But this is Sam and Valerie, the uh, EMT friend of Casey and his estranged wife who ran off to the uh, mm. to the whatever, the crazy, the crazy gang cult. Yeah. 
Uh, now, they have enlisted the aid of the Doom Patrol to help look for their son, Lucius. Uh, if you remember him, he ran off with the Brotherhood of Nada last issue, and uh, Mr. Nobody turned him into the Great Ludini. He had his top hat and cape and all that good stuff. Yep. Uh, now, while they search, Larry's able to pick up vibrations from the floor, a point of contact with another place. Lucius drew a pentagram there, so we cannot forget that he's into the heavy metal satanic stuff. Yeah. Uh, again, we don't blame you if you don't remember. This was a year ago. <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> now, after Flex Mental de- determines that the home has a good mix of vegetables, which, uh, you know, help a boy grow up to be strong, sure. uh, Cliff calls everyone into the living room. Because there's a news report on the television. We got a reporter named Peter interviewing Mr. Nobody down at the supermarket where all that crazy stuff is happening. Now, Mr. Nobody says that eventually things will reach critical mass. And then, I don't know, maybe the Super Mario Brothers will show up or something. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) They, of course, decide to head on down to the store to deal with all this nonsense. Yeah, and meanwhile, over in, like... Fake Asgard. I this mm. this is the storyline I really have the most trouble with understanding what is going on here and what the connection is to anything. I, I guess we kind of come to it at the end, but uh, this is the the cutout Thor, right? Mm. With the withheld due to copyright stamp on his body, he could be called the disappointment. But I think it's really Haxalon, right? That's I don't know. I think I, I think, <laughs> I, think it's, I think Haxalon the Star Archer is a comic character. And what we're seeing is that real character, but we can't see it in this comic. Okay. Because it's Thor from Marvel. I don't because right. they, they do say like you're supposed like they they were confused that he wasn't uh he didn't have a bow and arrow or something somewhere in here. It, which would make sense because he's yeah. a star archer. They star archer. <laughs> don't uh, know. <laughs> so like I say, I'm really having trouble with this story. I'm not really sure what's going on. He's looking for a wife, I guess, to fulfill a storyline that happened in the comic. It's uh, not very interesting. Or he's looking for his wife. He's, he's looking, I, yeah. He, he's so in the comic. Apparently, he married a woman named Starlene. Yeah. And right after that, something happened, and he's trying to make that he's got to find his Starlene. I think uh, maybe. So then, some Tony <laughs> shows up with a script from a movie based on the comic about Haxalon. Turns out the movie was supposed to end with a wedding to his wife, Starlene, but then that was cut out, I think. Uh, and then he pulls up a movie, Star Lag, which is taken from the old, uh, I, I may still be around sci-fi movie magazine, Star Log. Uh, the Tony found out that her part was cast to entice investors, and the person cast was Rita Farr from the original Doom Patrol, uh, she who could grow to any size. So uh, this today gives a rundown of who Rita Farr is, this uh, oh, Toady, uh, and most of which we know, though he does call the Doom Patrol Mod 983, and Haxalon says, this is the unstable mod. He says, Did you find any numbers, uh, any, any significance to those numbers? I didn't really look into it. Um, I looked and I couldn't find any. I found there was like a, there's a gun called a Mod 932, nine, nine, I'm sorry, 983, but... Uh, that's all I could find. Mm. I couldn't find anything else. I mean, I, my, my impression is that there would be X number of mods, mm. right? Because, uh, but, sure. but you're right. I'm not sure what that really means. If there's a significance to it, yeah. Uh, and then this would be the unstable one, but then what are the other ones, and what what is that? You know, like, yeah. Hopefully, this will be cleared up like before we, you know, have to collect Social Security. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you, you can't leave all these things hanging, and then like. Take a, take a powder for t- several months. It really is kind of sure. annoying. 
So then he says retcon, which we know is a business existing, somehow tied in with an event that'll be coming up uh, very soon, actually, the Milk Wars, but we're not really sure what they are, but they know where to find her. And the toady says their difficulty with it for reasons that they can't explain, that are immediately unexplained. This is ruining Haxalon's comic book finale, which concludes with something destroying everything. I think. So <laughs> then there's a retcon <laughs> alert. Seems the wackiness surrounding the Doom Patrol threatens this pink Asgard, whatever. I, I don't even know what's happening anymore. Like, I, I can't even describe the Seeks. I'm not sure what's happening. Uh, and Haxalon pulls a pistol on his toady and tells him he better fix this. Mm, we're going to hop back to Earth, where all that silly chaos is still going down, and Mr. Nobody is inflating a giant panda. This was once Peter, the news reporter that interviewed him, and... Uh, DC did publish a comic called Peter Panda back in the 50s. Well, there it is. That's right. <laughs> now, we see the rest of the Brotherhood of Nada, whose details, uh, I don't remember. I pretty much have forgotten <laughs> them, yeah. Uh, it doesn't really matter, though, since they occupy the background for basically the entirety of the story. Yeah. Now, then the Doom Patrol shows up, and Mr. Nobody explains what we already know to them. Sam and Valerie see their son as the great Ludini. Uh, he rejects them for being neglectful with the, the support of Mr. Nobody. They will, of course, make up later, though. Now, the Doom Patrol and the Brotherhood of Nada brawl in the supermarket. Uh, we get some good-looking comic book action here. Really, uh, the art the art is doing a lot of the heavy lifting here. Um, Casey is looking for Terry Nunn frantically, and we will find her tap dancing on the roof right where we left her when we started. But before that, Lucius tries to take out Crazy Jane with a giant frog that he's conjured from his top hat. He wants revenge on her because, in his eyes, she took his mother away. Now, his mother, Valerie, explains that it wasn't her fault. She was actually under the control of another personality. And, of course, that all went down five years ago in Doom Pro number six. <laughs> and it all went down in that one issue, too, people. So just that was, that, that that was that a jam-packed <laughs> oh, issue, <yeah>. yes. <laughs> now, uh, at this point, they make up. Um, then a demon squirrel shows up and takes them all to the demonscape. And this is a result from Lucius's heavy metal satanic magic stuff. I kind of wanted to go with them. I was like, I wonder what they're going to do. I'm kind of sick. I don't know. I don't really care what's going on with this other stuff. <laughs> Take me to that demonscape. Uh, so anyway, so when Casey finds Terry on the roof of the supermarket, Terry becomes spontaneously pregnant. She's wearing this like maze pattern bodysuit too. Incidentally, looks like a really pain in the butt to draw. I think, but sure, uh, yeah. it looked especially cool when she got pregnant. It kind of like popped out the design. Yeah. So uh, Casey suggests they go to the hospital, which is a good idea. And this development angers Hexalon. And pleases his toady for some reason that I don't know. Uh, the chief shows up to explain what a wacky thing this is because you see, Casey Brink is being generated by Danny from one of his Dannyland comic books. And Terry Nunn is also not a real person because reasons? I don't. That's I, as good as it's going to get. I'm not sure. I didn't know she wasn't a real person, but okay, but I guess because Mr. Nobody is her dad, but he was a real person at one time. Uh, anyway, Terry became pregnant in the proximity of Casey because Casey had eaten that very fresh box of shit last issue, and then they got all horny and did it, if you recall. I didn't until I went back and looked. <laughs> I remember her doing a cat, but that's about it. So that was enough. That was the issue before, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, and now, the offspring of two non-existent beings, what will it be? What could it be, surmises the chief. Now, Casey is driving Danny the ambulance to the hospital while Terry Nunn is in labor in the back. Ricardo and the thug are attending to Terry poorly. 
Now, the ambulance is being chased by the Doom Patrol on bicycles. Crazy Jane's riding on Cliff's back. Flex Mentolo is running along carrying big boxes of diapers. Uh, Mr. Nobody and the Brotherhood of Nada, of course, sans Lucius because he's in the Demonscape, they roll up in his convertible and crash into Danny's bumper, which links them together. Cliff grabs onto the back of Mr. Nobody's car, Larry to the back of Cliff, and they've created a chain. That's right. Now it's a mad, 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 mad world, folks, and mm-hmm. racing along. Just as Terry's about to drop her load, Casey punches in and everything fades to white to Haxalor's chagrin. His toady is glad to now initiate retcon plan C, which we don't know what that is. Hmm. Then there's a couple of white pages with some light dialogue and sound effects in gray. Then Danny smashes through all of it with a big boom and a crash that are really well, like, the well-rendered sound effects I like to look. Those white pages probably are what kept this book uh, delayed, right? I, that's probably what, what got yeah. this book out of this week is what <laughs> happened. Yeah, that's the only, that was the only thing that saved this book another three-month delay. Uh, and now, I know, I know it's, I'll tell you, I'll say it now, though. It's obviously a Hail Mary play. Uh, yeah. There's no question in my mind, but they had to do something. Uh, now it looks like they're in the lobby of Retcon, Danny grilled down and sticking out of the ground, and everyone is just kind of sh- flung about the place looking unconscious and possibly dead, but probably not. Uh, there's some sculptures ringing in the lobby. look like different minerals, giant stones hmm. encased in glass, uh, just kind of describing the place. The skilled glove folks are watching. Uh, we still see just their hands, sorry, and uh, they clap, and this is to be continued. In the thrilling conclusion, to nada, which I think they actually mean the next issue of this book, mm-hmm. but not Milk Wars. Not Milk Wars. I think it's. I think this is. You know, this Milk Wars involved. Obviously, Doom Patrol's involved in it, but Absolutely. I think this story concludes issue eleven, which I believe now comes out in May. So. Wow. That's. Oh wow. Okay. That is, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, <clears throat> You know, Chris and I, we're real big fans of the Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've talked about it amongst our, ourselves many times. We well, were so enthusiastic for this book at one time, and then with all the delays, uh, it's it definitely taken away our enthusiasm. But this book is not good on its own merits no, as it's well. A mess. It really is a mess. It's it's. I described it in my review as 10 pounds of shit in a 5-pound bag. There's so many things being thrown at you and you know you're almost on the cusp of caring but almost. there's not enough to, to, to hold on to there so like that whole that whole uh Haxalor, Haxalon thing i'm sure that's like a, it seems like he works for retcon so this is like a crux thing but we just don't have enough to tell us what what is the joke you're trying to make yeah. here you know like, yeah why do we care about this i don't really understand is it it's not clear enough you you, you haven't executed your joke properly, your story properly, to clarify your point here. Uh, and I think, def- I mean, I love the scenes of the wackiness going on, but it was so corny, too, you know what I it mean? It was, yeah. It was just like, Woo-hoo, you know, here's a here's a guy walking on his hands and eating hamburgers mm-hmm. with his feet. And, oh, here's a guy who's got a spring for a foot, boing, boing, you know, whatever. I like the way it looked. You know, I don't, I, I can't blame you know the artist at all. And and I'm someone no. I really like this art team. I think Nick Darrington and, and Tamara Bonvillain are putting together a great looking book. Sure. Uh, Nick Darrington's actually been doing the regular covers for Mister Miracle. Uh, some of which are great, not all of which are great, quite frankly. But some of them are really nice. And uh, I'd love to see him do more work. And I see him online just kind of doodling away these awesome little 
red and blue pencil drawings clearly waiting for a script from Mr. Way, please. Uh, so we, <laughs> He's bored. He needs work. Yeah, really has nothing to do. I, I mean, literally, I think that's why he got the covers for Mr. Miracle. I think he needed work. He needed to eat, you know, wow. like, because he's waiting, you know, he's basically on tap to do this Doom Patrol, whatever. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I don't, we don't have a special info, but I'm 100% convinced it's on the writer. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, really deflating, folks. I'm not, not, like, happy with this book anymore. It's not making me excited to read, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, it's it's a matter of I like the art. The story has totally fallen apart. Uh, I like the new characters, and I like the characters that we knew already. I do. I like Casey Brink. Uh, sure. I like the concept of Danny the Ambulance, or Danny the Anything, really. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, we already like Larry and Jane and, and Cliff and all those guys. But uh, I, could, I just don't give a shit about the story one bit. And frankly, I came in kind of high on this. I must have been in a good mood or something like that. I gave it a six out of ten. But really, in my mind, this is this goes below a five because it's, yeah. it's art is the only thing carrying this book at this point. There's nothing really to grab onto. What would you think of it, Chris? Um, you know the the, the silly scenes they're they're nice to look at, but they they just don't matter. Um, and and uh, with with that same as you, uh, Darrington and Bonville, and they're doing great work here. Uh, they are doing. I would say they're doing the heavy lifting, but they're doing all the lifting because it seems like they're the ones invested in this more so than the writer. And I, I'm probably projecting a bit. Maybe, but, uh, but I it's it, you know you, it's you, you, so you don't see your hard way all day talking about Doom Patrol. You know, no, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, and it, it just seems like, and we've said this in earlier reviews where like, you know, if if uh, Morrison or whoever wanted to do a story like this, they've earned it. Yeah, this volume hasn't earned it. Yeah, this volume has been this volume's been a Morrison cover band uh, for how long has it been coming out now? Almost two a year and a half. Um, yeah, I mean, right, right last September, September of sixteen. Rebirth, yep, with sixteen. Yeah, yeah, so it's this has been a Morrison cover band and not a very good one. No, um, but it it started out fantastic. It I really mean, the did. first three or four issues. I mean, we were we were pleased as pie from those, but th- this has just been. It's been so nothing afterwards, and it's been it's been nada. Uh, maybe that's a meta commentary. <laughs> whoa, whoa! You cracked the code, Chris. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pump it up to a ten out of ten. Now, now I see what the other that review. That third issue, saying. that third issue was really the only book I've ever given a ten out of ten. I was so happy. It was great. It was my comic was of the great. year. And as a matter of mm-hmm. fact, in the end, that first arc, even though it ends kind of weirdly rushed, uh, is a satisfying arc of Doom it's, Patrol. It's a full story. Yeah. This one has been just like uh, you know a. a Box of pot and pan, pots and pans falling down a flight of stairs, you know what I mean? Just honk, honk, honk. So, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know what to tell you, folks. We've been saying for a while, wait for the trade. Don't bother getting this a single issue. Cause they obviously don't care about single issue readers, but nope. I'm starting to wonder if you even have to bother with the trade. I don't know. It comes out in, like, April. <laughs> which takes us to, well, what will be your score for this if you want to throw a number in there? Um, yeah, I don't want to give it the five out of 10 because that has a connotation. I'll yeah. go, I'll go 4.5. out of I 10. Think that, I think that's more than fair right there. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. I wouldn't say fuck you because I do really feel like the art team is doing a lot of good work on this. And the know? art team feels like they care about it. They, they care, <laughs> you know, and like they, but like they have put a lot of, I don't know. I, my, I, my feeling is they put a lot of love into it. You know what I mean? And yes. like, it looks, and they're excited to be part of this. It looks, it <laughs> looks good. And like you said, like those silly panels they're meaningless but man they made them look cool it, it almost absolutely i almost like to see like 
a print of that. <laughs> you know? sure. Like, what would that look like? But uh, the print might have more story in it. Speaking of the trade coming out in April, might this is a little earlier than you might imagine. Uh, so here's a little Doom, Doom Patrol conspiracy theories. Uh, mm-hmm. From what you can tell, Doom Patrol 11 comes out in March still. That's not a guarantee. That's just what we know as of right now. But Doom Patrol 12, which was scheduled for June, has been now taken off the schedule completely. And the second volume of the trade was originally solicited as having issue 7 to 12. Now it's been resolicited having 7 to 11. So mm-hmm. our guess, and I think, I really think we're right, Doom Patrol is effectively ending with 11. Uh, and that'll be that. I, you know, I think it's possible it might get a new volume in X time, but I think that this is it. Uh, you know, Gerard Way is going to go play guitar or whatever, and that'll be that. Uh, and I also, like I said, I'm not guaranteeing the next issue is coming out in March by any means. No, if, that, no. if that ends up slipping, I'm not going to act surprised one bit. Or if that ends up not even, if just like, they say, fuck the single issue, buy the trade if you want to get that issue, which would yep. just be the perfect final middle <laughs> finger to the to the reader. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, you know, I, we haven't done a Young Animal segment in a while, Chris, and I wish we didn't come in with a bummer Young Animal segment. <laughs> we can only work with what we're given. Uh, but we'll be back sooner rather than later, won't we? Yeah, we're we're going to be on a roll coming up here. Uh, we uh, we will be starting next week, the Milk Wars. This is going to be the Doom Patrol Justice League of America book, which uh, we already know exists. That's right, we know because, for a short because one of us has read it. That's right, and I the other of it's us the world. have not looked at it yet. But the one of us that's read it is not going to reveal by his tone say and his intonation any of his feelings about it. Uh, yeah, it's it will exist. We'll be back next week, and I think if all goes uh, as they want it to, and that's also not a promise, but it seems like they, don't you get the impression they were that these were done almost separately, like outside of Gerard Way, these 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 four Milk Wars issues. Maybe I'm wrong because yes. they involve uh, yeah, they almost because he he's he's listed as a as a, as a co-scripter or a co-writer at least. Yeah, but uh, I'm I'm guessing that this was probably taken out of his purview because especially if it all comes out. Yeah, I think that'll be the real the real kicker, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at that editorial staff too. I think we might find it might be some uh no, some maybe of that we'll DC get like muscle. a we'll get like a cute DC bullpen thing from him where he like takes a black and white picture and puts X's over the eyes. There you go. But uh, that, that's <laughs> that might be about all we get from him. What well, wasn't there wasn't there something last summer that that young animal was going to fold into the Vertigo office or did I imagine that? That's what we heard. We yeah. heard that at a, there was a rumor. I think it was New York Comic Con. Yeah. That, or it was either New York or, or San, San Diego. Diego. It was, uh, one of those it was either July or September. But uh, yeah, that was that was one of the things that was uh, that was coming out of that. Was that it was going to fold into the Vertigo editorial line, that's, which uh, we didn't know what that meant, and I don't think we do yet I either. But don't. I wonder if that's even still in the works, or what what's what that means. Yeah. But or if it happened and we didn't even realize that it. That is possible too, but because uh, maybe they kept it a secret. You'd expect to see at least a change of the uh, logo on the cover, but who knows? Hmm. Yeah, who knows? But anyway, uh, that's all we got for you this week, folks. Got anything else mm-hmm. for him, Chris? No, we we are we're, we just started season two. It's very exciting. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Season two of the Young Animal Show, and uh, we're gonna kick off with the Milk Wars next week. So until then, folks, I want you all to keep it young and animalistic.
See ya. Sure. I write to melancholy rhythms with the colors of pain. With a chemical imbalance that can smother your brain. Kind of pissed because I'm the player, pull the plug from your game. Either that or put another burning slug in your frame. Make the call. I break the score. Club of the game. The tougher they can lay. The easier the media can suffer the segment on the weird science dc podcast my name is reggie my name is chris and this week we have no young animal book to flashback read. that's right this is just like the olden days isn't it <laughs> uh and in the olden days you know we always like to throw something out there you know maybe uh talk about a year in comics or i talk about my toe jam as i've uh, read in the slack chat one time i don't think we ever actually did that but this time in celebration of a uh, maxi series, right? This is going to be 12 issues, I'm pretty sure. 12 issues, yeah. For Mr. Miracle by Tom King and Mitch Gerard. Gerard? Gerards. Gerards, thank you. Uh, we decided to talk a little bit about Mr. Miracle, maybe give some background on the character and on the conditions that created the character and why it is so important to uh, DC brass and some DC fans out there uh, of a certain age. Primarily, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Probably, uh, yes. So, yeah, let's uh, let's just kick it off, talk about a little bit about the man who made the miracle. Yes, we'll start with uh, Jack Kirby, he, who a lot of people associate with Marvel Comics. Uh, he began working in comics in, uh, wow, way, 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 way back in 1936. Mm-hmm. Very, very beginning of the uh, of the craft. Yeah, here. I mean, like, he, he probably worked on one of the first ten comics. Probably. Came out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, he worked for nearly every comics publisher, but by the late 1950s, like we said, he's primarily linked with Timely, also known as Marvel Comics. Uh, this was after two falling outs with the fallings out with the publisher. In uh, 1942, he disputed that he and Jack, uh, Joe Simon's payouts for Captain America, uh, Joe and Jack had negotiated 25%. But this is, which, apparently was still, they felt they were getting a short <laughs> shrift of it. I was like, wow, that's... That's a big percentage. That's, I don't I mean, I think any creator could get that percentage today of whatever, they'd be thrilled, you know, but anyway. Exactly. Uh, then in the early 50s, he was annoyed that Timely, who was, they were then known as Atlas, uh, they, were, they started printing new Captain America. Stories, and they did so without asking him and, and Joe Simon to, uh, you know, write and draw them. Uh, we would guess, right? I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> in response to this, they created a uh, a character who's not unlike Captain America. He's known <laughs> as the Fighting American, and that came out through Harvey Comics and debuted in Fighting American number one, cover dated May 1954. And I saw there was, isn't there a revival of that? There's a revival every now and again. There were several, yeah. yeah. I think there's, I think there's one coming soon through Dynamite, I'm pretty sure, but... Uh... And one came out through DC uh, in the 90s. Oh, really? So I, I yeah. wonder if I wonder if they actually... I don't know, rented the property. Who knows how it works? They might have licensed it, yeah. Behind the scenes. But uh, anyway, so in 1961, you might know that Marvel publisher Martin Goodman directed Stan Lee to create a superhero team. This was in the wake of the popularity of DC's Justice League of America. 
Stan and Jack would produce the Fantastic Four number one, cover date November 1961, and the Marvel Age began. Jack would co-create dozens of characters for Marvel during this time, and this is truly just a brief look at uh, some of the biggest names. Very brief. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really just picked <laughs> names that I thought would be instantly recognizable. Doctor Doom, the Hulk, the X-Men, Magneto, and company, all, all those things. Uh, Doctor Xavier, the whole school. Thor and all his Asgardian trappings, uh, Loki and, and uh, Odin and all that. Silver Surfer, Galactus, and pretty much everything that goes with that. And, like, the list just goes on and on. It's, you know, pretty much if it wasn't Ditko, it was Kirby. It threw throughout much of the 60s in a lot of ways, you know. Through, later on, you get Buscema in the mix and a little Romita, you know. But uh, it, all those biggest names, pretty much, that we, we think of as the core Marvel Age properties really come from those two guys plus Stan. Absolutely. Uh, but then uh, Jack would leave for DC Comics. Uh, despite the acclaim and considerable earnings, Kirby was dissatisfied with his treatment at Marvel. Uh, he felt that, they did, that he deserved more credit for plotting, because uh, they did, you know, the Marvel method, which was mm -hmm. Stan gives him an idea, he, he draws the whole thing out, and then gives it back to Stan, and he uh, would do the scripting. Right. Uh, so he felt that he should have more of a stake in the characters. In 1970, Marvel offered to renew his contract with the provision that he would never litigate against the company. So, sign with us and also sign your rights away. Right. Now, this was the last straw for Jack, who had been plotting a move to D.C. for a couple of years by this point. And uh, wouldn't you know it, they were more than happy to have him. Oh, yeah. They were they were really thrilled about it. They uh, In D.C. titles from May to June, ads appeared announcing, The Great One is Coming, and mentioned the enigmatic boom tube, which wasn't even like a thing yet, you know? Yep. <laughs> but Kirby was not even not mentioned by name. Uh, by that summer, ads reading, Kirby is Coming, would appear in D.C. Comics titles. And by that October... House ads showed some of the titles Jack Kirby would be working on, and I think by then he'd done his first issues of Jimmy Olsen. Uh, these were Forever People, New Gods, and Mr. Miracle, with the heading The Magic of Kirby. In August 1970, with an October cover date, Jack Kirby's first comic book, here it is, and for DC in years, hit the stands. That was Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 133. I always like this little tidbit that Kirby wanted to work on Jimmy Olsen because he didn't want to take another pencil's job. Uh, you know, this and Lois Lane, they kind of had a rotating staff of pencilers, so there was nobody sitting on the title counting on it for his uh, paycheck, you know. So shows the kind of where the guy's head is at, I think. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the fourth world. Uh, now, what we call Jack Kirby's fourth world is really a continuous story running throughout several titles, many that we've already mentioned, that comprised a new world of stories. At the time, there was no comic book titled The Fourth World. That's right. Though, for completion's sake, <laughs> in the late 1990s, John Byrne would produce a series called Jack Kirby's Fourth World. <laughs> that, that ran 20 issues from March 1997 to October 1998. From which sprang the be-all and end-all of comic book events, Genesis. Uh, also worth mentioning, because I doubt we'll ever discuss it again, Jack Kirby's Fourth World, number 20, October 1998, has a cover homage to Burns' Man of Steel miniseries from 1986. You remember the uh, like the the right-hand side of the cover had like a person standing there oh, right, like in yeah. whiteness? Yep. In this one, it's Darkseid standing oh, in that yeah. white space. So it's a, it's a pretty neat little tie-in. It, it Although Burns' art had kind of degraded by that point, yeah, it, it fits right in. That's yeah. cool, though. 
Now, the fourth world was obviously preceded by the third world, which was Kirby's Asgardian world of Thor, Loki, Odin, and all them that he'd created for Marvel Comics. Uh, the story, insofar as Mr. Miracle is concerned, uh, because a full synopsis would take quite some time. Oh, yeah. It's it's a, uh, you know, a battle between good and evil. You might have heard of that one before. <laughs> uh, good was represented by the idyllic planet of New Genesis and its Moses-like leader, Isaiah. Well, he's better known as the High Father. Evil was represented by the hellish planet Apocalypse, with a K, and its overlord, who I used to call Darkseed as a kid, but it's Darkseid. Uh, and Apocalypse uh, is spelled, there's a lot a lot crazier aspects of the yeah. spelling than there just being a K, but, you know, if you, if, you know, it, you know. You know it if you see it. It's funny, these are the things that work themselves mainly, most into DC continuity, but there's so much minutia and, like, arcane oh, things yeah. that are, that you could really just crack this whole thing open and be talking Sink forever. Sink your teeth in. Yeah. Now, they, these uh, these two worlds reach a truce by trading sons. Now, Darkseid's son is Orion, who's sent to New Genesis, and he experiences, you know, idyllic freedom and, and you know, a nice, happy childhood. Yeah, probably nice food, a bed, soap. Sure. <laughs> nice views out the window. Right. Uh, on the other hand, Highfather's son, he was scot-free, and he was raised on Apocalypse in captivity and torture in the pits. Yep, and uh, let's talk a little bit about Mr. Miracle himself then, Scott Free. So we first get to know Scott in Mr. Miracle number one, April 1971. The character is actually based on Jim Starenko, who mm-hmm. he he's best known, I guess, for penciling uh, Nick Agents Fury. of S.H.I.E.L.D., Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the late 60s, and he's done other work, done a lot of cover work, actually. Um, and then just be kind of a hepcat, kind of a smooth character, and uh, apparently did magic tricks too, right? That was part of his trade. He, he was an thing. escape. Um, he was an escape. Oh, he artist. actually was yeah. an escape artist. I, I just, I just <laughs> knew him to kind of do tricks, but uh, he has a heck of a life. That's Starenko. So absolutely. Yeah. So Scott Free is based somewhat on him, although I don't, don't know if we could say he looks like him, but that's you know up to your judgment. <laughs> Uh, Scott grew up in one of Granny Goodness's terror orphanages with no knowledge of his own heritage. Uh, Granny Goodness is an evil nanny who runs a training facility that turns people into slaves and or warriors, depending on what, what she thinks is good. And she's based on Phyllis Diller. Again... Doesn't really look like Phyllis Diller, but okay. Uh, I heard Ric Flair is based on Phyllis Diller too lately. I can uh, that I can see more than Grady Goodness, <laughs> quite frankly, physically looking. But uh, you know, whatever. We get the idea. She has wild hair. That's that's she does. Thing. Uh, as he matured, Scott rebelled against the totalitarian ideology of apocalypse, and hating himself for being unable to fit in, he was influenced by Metron to see a future beyond Darkseid. Now, a lot of us know Metron. He is a new god that floats around in a magic Mobius chair, observing as much as possible, but never intervening. Except for all those times that he intervenes. That's right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's based on the Star, Te- Star Trek character played by Leonard Nimoy, Mr. Spock. Uh, Scott became part of a small band of pupils who were, to- who were tutored in secret by the rebel Hymon. Hymon is a new god from New Genesis, living on Apocalypse in secret as one of their lowest classes. That class is known as the Hunger Dogs. Uh, based on Shell Dorf, uh, founder of the San Diego Comic-Con. Wow. Interesting. It was at these meetings that he met fellow pupil, Big Barda, who would later become his wife. Now, her story is she was born about 250 years ago on Apocalypse, was taken away from her mother at an early age to be trained as one of Darkseid's elite warriors, the Female Fury Battalion, usually just called the Furies for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, condensing sake. She was a product of Granny Goodness's home for the orphaned youth over in the Terror Orphanage, and she's loosely based on Jack's wife, Roz. Again, not in looks, but okay. 
No. Uh, eventually, Scott Free escaped and fled to Earth, and once on Earth, he became the protege of a circus escape artist, Thaddeus Brown, whose stage name was Mr. Miracle. Scott befriended Brown's assistant, a dwarf named Oberon. When Thaddeus Brown was murdered, Scott Free assumed the identity of Mr. Miracle, and that's pretty much his story, his basic story. Yeah. That you know, uh, things then went from there, and uh, I don't think we're positive how much of post-Jack stuff will be canon in this uh, Tom King story, but we have a little more information about him, uh, although it is worth mentioning that by fleeing Apocalypse, Scott nullified New Genesis's contract with Apocalypse, and therefore Darkseid became an ever-present threat to try to take over, like that war began again, Resumed, so yeah. it was a big deal by running away from home, he kind of made things, made a lot of political problems up there, but that's just how it was going to be anyway. Yeah, and that Thaddeus Brown getting murdered and Scott taking over is like the first five or six pages of Mr. Miracle number one from 1970, whatever. All right. It's, uh, that's, yeah. the, that's his whole origin told right there. Just bring, it, bring you right in, sure. And, uh, you know, we had a thing called Crisis on Infinite Earths. And following Crisis, Scott, along with Oberon, joined up with the Justice League International. This happened in Justice League number one, May 1987, where he remained, though in semi-retirement, during the majority of those Bwahaha years. Uh, in that's, 19- where would, that's where I would know, got to know him. By Me the too. I didn't, Me I, too. I didn't read the original Mr. Miracle for a long time, but, uh, yeah, that's where I first saw him. Same here, yeah. I didn't get to the originals until uh, just a few years ago. Really, yeah, pretty recently for me, yeah. Yeah. Now, in 1989, DC launched Mr. Miracle Volume 2, in which Scott and Barta, again in semi-retirement, moved to the suburb of Bailey, New Hampshire. Uh, Buying a local fix-it shop, Scott took to repairing electronics, which is one of his specialties as an occupation. Uh, So we hope all those New Hampshireites like their toasters to come back as mother boxes. Why why is my drill pinging all the time, (laughs) uh, Mr. All the time. (laughs) And there's this giant tube in my living room. (laughs) Now, the series was played fairly light, as you might imagine, uh, very much with a sitcom tone. Uh, It was J.M.D. Mateus is the one who started it, and he's one half for one third of the Blahahas. Yeah. Uh, now the cast even featured things like nosy neighbors, like something out of Bewitched, and uh, annoying, you know, neighborhood kids and who That's get on cool. Oberon's nerves. It's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. At one point, Scott would go off planet. This is towards the end of that series with a, a man by the name of the Funky Flashman, yeah. who is a satirical take on Stan Lee, uh, to perform for Manga Khan and Elron the Robot. Uh, during this time, he was replaced on Earth by a robot because Bar didn't Barda didn't want him to go, and it was just another you know sitcom situation <laughs> where uh, okay, we'll have a robot replacement, so she'll never know I left. But that robot dies and had a funeral. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't, uh, just, it, it wasn't just whisked onto a dustpan and dumped in the garbage. <laughs> nope, they actually buried him. All right. <laughs> and uh, if you thought Barter was mad that he was dead, well, she was even more ticked to find out he was still alive. Uh, this volume would go 28 issues. Uh, Scott had a third volume, and this was much shorter lived. It only ran seven issues from April 1996 to October 1996. Uh, the fourth volume of Mr. America was part of Grand Morrison's Seven Soldiers of Mystery. Uh, victory, sorry, and uh, did not star Scott Free. This was Shiloh Norman, which is another version of Scott Free. Scott would die during the Death of the New Gods miniseries, which was supposed to be a lead-up to the final crisis, but that was pretty much ignored. He'd be res- resurrected on the Fifth World, and contradicted and and contradicted was contradicted by the weekly Countdown to Final Crisis miniseries, 
I'm match. sorry, maxi series, which actually contradicted everything anyway. I mean, that, yeah. <laughs> that whole maxi series. You know, I only I only read that once, and it it only confused me. You so. only need. I I never looked at it again. I was like, what am I? What is happening in this thing? So yeah, it's just we could excise that from the record. Uh, in the new 52, Scott Free, but with one T, made his debut in Earth 2, number 11, June 2013. Had a similar origin story as the original Scott Free. He'd play a role in that weekly Earth 2 World's End maxi-series that I only read like a third of, uh, yeah. which ran alongside new, new 52 Future's End. He and Barda would cross over to join up with the Justice League during the Dark Side War. And in fact, Barda fi- figured it a lot more into that Earth 2 series in general, as I remember yeah. it. But yeah. definitely that World's End kicked me right off the freaking thing, Chris. Let me tell you. <laughs> that was pretty bad. Oh, that was, that was a tough one. So that is pretty much what we have for Mr. Miracle. Uh, there are other appearances, obviously, of and course, probably yeah. other work-ins, but that's where he's at. Um, I, we can't actually say what what we know about these series now, but by the time you hear this, you'll have heard it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I guess we could say whatever the hell we want, Chris. So <laughs> this, this is got two T's, right? Isn't that two T's? Yeah. yeah, I thought it. I thought it had to be because I, I have a feeling that they're walking back a lot of that new Fifty Two stuff. If you notice, they're not really. Yeah, they're not really embracing that, and that's probably. Yeah. Probably for the best, folks, in the long run. Think of 10 years from now, you'll you'll think it was all a bad dream. Uh, <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> but, you know, it's a, we're in a funny place because we're recording this very early. You've read the comic, and I haven't. I have. <laughs> uh, but you said it's good, right? You enjoyed it's, it. It's a very solid book. I'd, I, 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 you know, if I were to do a, a number score, I'd probably go nine-ish. It's wow. a really good book, but uh, I have a feeling it's going to be received a lot better than I'm receiving it. <laughs> Just, it's just that kind of book. You know, I hear you. I mean, this this sounds like it's a book that's going to get like New York Times style recognition. Is that what you're saying? Like it's going to get. Or, I, I think it's just going to be a lot of uh, a lot of folks who don't know a lot about Mr. Miracle are going to latch onto this yeah. due to the creative team, oh, and yeah. are well, going to laud it. I mean, a I mean, lot if, if, if you're saying that Tom King is going to get a ten out of ten, that's undeserved. That's not <laughs> that's not a Mr. Miracle thing. That's, uh, that's not exclusive. That's, yeah, that's Mr. that's going to happen. That's all throughout comics, quote unquote, journalism. <laughs> but you're actually saying it is good. That that tells it's me it's quite good. And, and quite good. you know, I'm thinking like a Mega Man, like Vision, and all these other series that ended up being twelve issues. And when read as a whole, they are a really good story book. that almost can be separated from canon. Although I don't know if that's the case. This supposedly is in canon, but whatever. They are, but it's you know, tangential. You know, it's yeah. not like it's he's and, not affecting big events. Exactly. Yeah, so. I don't. I don't expect him to go hang out with the Flash in this series, though. Who knows? No. We'll find out. He but, never. Uh, yeah, it, it seems to me like this is going to be one of these mainstream. Uh, you know, it's going to do well on the sell graphic novels bestsellers Absolutely. or whatever, and uh, that's fine. I have no problems with sure. that. Sure. But you know, as far as uh, you know, Joe Blow's comic site doling out a 10 out of 10 to these comics. So that's that's bound to happen. That, that's going to happen. Exactly. Absolutely. It could be about uh, Reggie's toe jam, and people here, they'd still give it out. But, I gave that an 8 out of 10. <laughs> right, yeah. You thought, maybe the coloring could have been a little better. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but, you know, definitely I'm looking forward to it. I just have not had the time yet. I'll probably read it today, so this makes this You're going to enjoy it. This recording enjoy it. very out of time, but that's how we got to do it. <laughs> Uh, next week, though, we do actually have two Young Animal books. Uh, I'm looking forward to both of them, quite frankly. we got Bug, The Adventures of Forager, number four, and Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye, number 11, which should be the penultimate issue before the... Penultimate! Well, there it is. Uh, before the, 
you know, quote unquote hiatus. Quote unquote. So, uh, you know, zipping. Can't wait to read those jammies. But I think that's all we got for him this week. Chris, you got anything else for him? I just want to say that it's I, I appreciate that DC is actually doing something for Jack Kirby's birthday. Yeah. Besides re-releasing a bunch of stuff that's available on Marvel Unlimited for a dollar a pop. Yeah. Uh, it, you'd figure that Marvel would be the ones, you know, really dishing out the Kirby stuff now, but it's an afterthought. It's a, it lets re-release stuff that's already available on Marvel Unlimited and make you pay for it. Uh, frankly, uh, frankly, I'm surprised considering about all the outrage we see in the comics community that there's not more outrage about this and i i don't feel i don't feel a personal outrage over it but i definitely notice it like marvel should be the ones rolling out the uh, gold sure. carpet for the guy this is the guy probably built their whole this is why all these people have jobs is based on that you know yeah. but then you gotta they remember have a play, they have a playground to play in because of him you gotta remember though this is a company no longer even publishing fantastic four so they're not yeah they're not known for looking backwards as much maybe as they should, but I mean, yeah. you know, DC's got all these one shots. They got this Mister Miracle thing. Uh, you know, they are really making a making a play for the, his birthday. So. And these one shots, they're not going to sell well. No. These are they're they're overpriced and people people aren't as attached to the fourth world as they are to the Marvel originals. You know, so these are not going to make huge. They have a lot going against them. They're one shots. They're you know they're out kind of out of continuity. They're you know people that I you know I find that as generations go on and on, and I think it's understandable that the attachment to Kirby is less and less. And like I said, of course. That's like our attachment to Lou Fine isn't that strong either, you know, and he's, he's a uh, guy from the 30s and 40s in case sure. uh, for people to know. But, uh, and that's fine, but, you know, DC is obviously doing it because they feel they should or they want to. I mean, it's no big secret Dan DiDio is probably the biggest, you know, Bronze Age DC Jack Kirby fan. Oh, God, yeah. Anywhere, you know what I mean? He, he would, if he could cut every other comic and just have an OMAX series, he'd probably do that. Because he 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 launched the new Fifty Two with his Omax series. Exactly. He did the Infinity Men that he did. I mean, it's he, you can oh, tell yeah. he's and the Forever he's People big into this. Too, yeah. Yep, uh, absolutely. He love he loves this Kirby stuff for sure. This is one of his favorite things. So he, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked to think that he had a strong hand in making these one shots happen. And I, sure. I I only read the one from last week, and it was all right. But it's just it's exactly like Chris said. It's just too much money. Yeah. Uh, for two bucks cheaper, I'd say go out, have a good time with it. But for that extra two bucks, you really don't get anything. You just get uh, your wallet stripped of cash <laughs> is really all you get. So anyway, but 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 all that, I'm glad to see DC doing something, and I'm surprised that Marvel isn't doing more something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, who knows? there's a million things they could do. They could have a you know Jack Kirby celebration. They could get Fred Hembeck in, right, to do. Sure. A treatment of all the Kirby characters hanging out in a diner Get or whatever. Mark you know? of NEA to write something. Uh, I mean, yeah, exactly. Bring Stan back to write a, to write a short script. That I could mean, be nice, you know. Because uh, thinking about it contextually here, back in the 80s when John Byrne drew him on that cover of Fantastic Four and Jim Shooter pulled it off. Right. We still hear about that, even though that was pulled off because there were threats of litigation. Yeah, they were like in the and, middle of, of, of yeah. lawsuits, basically. Yeah. And Shooter didn't want to give the court anything that showed that Kirby had a claim to the characters. Right. So it was all done out of cover in Marvel. Now there's nothing like that, and they're still ignoring him. I mean, it's just so weird. I mean, now I'm now where we'd both be speaking out of school because the particulars of their arrangement with the Kirby family we know nothing at all about. Sure, sure. But 
maybe if they were if they do were to do say what DC is doing, they'd have to do a payout to the family that they don't want to do. No, that's that'd be terrible. But that's it? that's a stupid that's a stupid <laughs> reason. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, listen, you know. We're, we're a couple of people that we'd probably love to see a retrospective on, you know, Sal Buscema, and you sure. know, I'd love to see all these guys, John Romita, everybody get their, you know, special series, but we don't expect it for all, all of these people that we like, but Kirby is no. a bedrock guy. Uh, He's in Rarified, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're talking like, you know, the, the people, the name, names like Will Eisner and... Uh, mm-hmm. The real greats of comics that really shaped the language of comics. That's this is who we're talking about. So it's too bad. But anyway, we don't worry about that because we don't do a Marvel podcast. We don't. We frankly, don't. I barely even read any Marvel books anymore. So <laughs> it's sad, but I can't either. There you go. You know. So <laughs> here we are over on the DC side. So we are looking forward to reading more of this series, and I don't think we'll be following it because I believe Jim is going to do all twelve issues. But yeah, uh, yeah maybe if you want to. You want to say a couple of words about Mr. Miracle here on the Young Animal segment? We can feel free to. You know, we do get pretty much do whatever the hell we want here. So that's true, and it uh, doesn't feel terribly out of place in the Young Animal segment. So yeah, it doesn't. I like I say, I do. But I my understanding from what Tom King said in an interview is that this Mr. Miracle is in continuity. But I mm-hmm. think that only matters if anyone plans to include him in their stories in the near future. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. You can't have him die in an issue with a flash in too much. I mean, I mean, the Squirrel Girl's technically in continuity, but she never interacts with anybody doing anything, so it doesn't matter. Thankfully. <laughs> oh, I just threw that out for you, Chris. That was all. I wanted to get the Squirrel Girl comment out of you. Uh, anyway, I think that's all we got for him now this, uh, at this point. So yes. until next week, when we will have two books to read for you, we got Bud and Cave Carson. I want everyone to keep it young and animalistic. I need a miracle.